the sound of the police. It's not, actually. It's not the sound of the police at all. Don't worry. You're all perfectly safe. It's episode 18 of True Cult Pop, the pop music podcast. Evening all, it's me, Stephen Hill, and joining me by... <laughs> PC in pop, it's Mr. Sam Slight. Hello, Sam. Hello. Uh, you all right? Giving you your marching orders early on. How are you doing? Oh, I'm all right. Boot camp's been a, a drain. I'm trying to get those boots polished. That's what police do. They're all fascists, aren't they, anyway? It's all the same. <laughs> oh, yeah. Licking them boots, aren't you? Oh, God. All, all coppers are bastards and poor patrol, but not Chief Wigan from The Simpsons, who I stand by. Some of a mixed bag. A mixed bag, yes, absolutely. Describe the archers. Um, <laughs> how you been, mate? You, you good? You're wearing a nice light-coloured T-shirt. That's not like you, is it? I am wearing uh, the Botch Best Boy Band Ever T-shirt today, which is very nice. It's Ooh. in a baby blue. So, yes, got that with the repress of We Are The Romans last year. Lovely. Are they the best boy band ever? That's the question, because maybe we'll stick... Maybe if we were to do a kind of World Cup, like when we did the live album sort of find the finest thing a few weeks ago maybe do best boy band stick botch in there with five nsync and all the others see where they come i mean see where they rank to be fair obviously you know we're the romans classic album died in the wall undeniable but it's not progress by take that is it so it's not progress by take that which is probably the best take that album hey we're throwing a bit of a party this week guys we're having a bit of a celebratory party because today if you're listening to this podcast the day it comes out happy fucking birthday 55 years old today here he is showing his faith in the more vinyl mike Patton's birthday now we do a lot of these things where we go oh we somebody great died this week and we should pay tribute to them and celebrate how great they were and I was like, well, th- we should do this when they're alive, really, shouldn't we? Instead of waiting for them to die and then doing it, we should do more of this when they are alive. So we're going to do a little birthday celebratory podcast for the one and only Mike Patton. And we're going to be picking some of our favourite moments and some of the favourite things that he's done from his long and esteemed career. Mm. Happy birthday, Mike. That's what we're going to be doing. But that's not all. We're going to be talking about new music from XL Life and Monoskin. Ooh, Is that how you say it? I don't know. Don't not know, not foreign, am I? Ugh, rubbish. Foreign. <laughs> send the buggers back. These days, um, honestly. I mean, in, in this instance, maybe do send the buggers back. Oh, and okay. um, we've, got, we've, got, uh, we've got some fucking great news. Just the news <laughs> section this week is tip top bizarre i think you would say oh is that mate i there's one i've thrown in which i'm not even sure you've seen because I, i've kept it as a little secret oh gosh um is it brass eye levels uh, it, it, it actually is oh, yeah great it really <laughs> is it's fucking amazing anyway before we get onto that if you would like you can go over to patreon.com forward slash true cult pop and sign up for all of our exclusive content over there for a pound for one pound or more i mean We'll get into what I think you, what, what I think it's worth in a minute. But if you just want to suggest an album for us to talk about, you can give us a pound a month and you'll get to listen to four podcasts of one of your suggestions. That's all of you, not just you individually. Otherwise, that would be quite a lot. Mm. Um, and uh, this week coming, we are going to be talking about Recipe for Hate by Bad Religion. The last Bad Religion album on Epitaph or the first Bad Religion album on a major or neither. It's hard to tell. But anyway, we haven't really gone too big in on Bad Religion over, well, on on this podcast ever. So we did do uh, a bit of a sort of deep dive on 
bad religion as a whole mostly sort of considering recipe for hate as the the sort of the totem of the episode but we got to talk about bad religion quite a lot which i liked because i like bad religion sue me (laughs) if liking bad religion is a crime lock me up uh yeah Mm. it was cool to do a little potted history because um as i revealed in it um i'm not the most of a not the most dedicated bad religion fan i like bits and bobs and i think when they're good they are absolutely incredible and i think when they're less good they just sound like bad religion so it was interesting to do mm. one of the kind of less well regarded albums but i think one with significant talking points around it so yeah i hope you all enjoy that i did hope hope you enjoy that hope you enjoyed listening to us talking about bad religion i then went on a bit of a bad religion binge just prior to and then in the aftermath of us doing that record and i have to say I mean, I don't have to say it. I choose to say it. They are, the f- I think, they're a fucking great band. Mm-hmm. Uh, at their very, very best, they're 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 absolutely brilliant. So yeah, and um, anyone who slags them off um, is a coward. I am a coward, to be fair. You are a coward, yeah. actually. Not for be, slagging yeah, them I off, just, just generally, you know. Just actually clock that as I thought. Well, who's <laughs> been slagging them off? And I looked at you and I was like, yeah. Oh, it's that up. man that I hate that I have to look at three times a week. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, so that's for a quid. For a fiver, you get two. Classic albums a month, yeah? So we do bit, real big, big classic albums. And we just have put one up this weekend, uh, sorry, this week gone, this Wednesday gone, on Public Enemy's Fear of a Black Planet. We were joined by esteemed music journalist of many, many years, Mr. Neil Kakani, uh, who provided some expert and fascinating insight into, I think, like, what sounds like one of his favourite albums ever, 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 mm. ever. Maybe his favourite band ever, ever, ever. And uh, and obviously, you know, three different age ranges. He's a bit older than me. I'm a bit older than you. Um, quite a bit older than you. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we got through it and I think we did justice to um, one of the most essential artists in, I was about to say hip hop, but just in music really, isn't it? Yeah. Really? Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as we spoke about um, at the beginning, I mean, um, certainly for the two of us, I think Public Enemy were kind of something of a way into rap from, uh, I mean, certainly in your case, more of a kind of like pop background with a bit of rock. And then for me, very much rock moving into other genres. Whereas for Neil, it was kind of the reverse. I mean, he talks about Public Enemy being his step into things like My Bloody Valentine and all of the, uh, you know, a lot of the kind of alternative metal and post-hardcore stuff that's gone. Mm. I thought that was really cool. And then just getting to discuss, yeah, what, I mean, I would consider, you know, one of, if not the greatest hip-hop album in in my, you know, anything but humble opinion. I mean, I absolutely love Fear of a Black Mm. Planet. Uh, You know, as I have said on on the weekly show, a fair few weeks running now, you know, obviously I'm sort of diving a little bit deeper into hip hop week on week on week so how long it might retain that crown i don't know but as it stands I mean fear of a black planet is it is one of the great albums of all time um and not even just kind of in reputation and um influence just the sound of it the fact it has kept that ferocity 30 what 33 years later coming you know it's like it's incredible mm. brilliantly like the hugely manic wild untamable record amazing so fear of a black planet public enemy it's up now in two weeks time you'll get another one that's all for five pound over at patreon.com forward slash true cult pop there are other of course classic albums from the likes of tom waits and from pulp and from regents machine and from nine inch nails is the fragile record that we did before that and some other ones which i can't remember off the top of my head uh but there you go thanks very much if you do contribute we appreciate you let's move on to a couple of songs that we've been listening to this week before we get going every week something gets stuck in our head and we think well let's share it with 
our lovely listeners. I am in a position, I think, is it the first time? I'm not sure. Might be the first time that what you've brought in is something that I have not only never heard before, Mm. but an artist that I have never even heard of before. Yeah. Um... You, would you like me to bring in mine first then, Steve? Would you like to start with yeah, um, Alice Noy by was, Peter Fox? That's what I, was, what I was doing there. Oh, good. Okay. That's good, isn't it? <laughs> Reading the... Yeah. Look at that. Like, that is a telepathic... It's that chemistry. Chemistry that think, yeah. of podcast. We're not... We're no, we're no Morecambe and Wise just yet, so... Oh, well, I'm more character-based. You're more of a gag man. So, yes. Um, yeah. Alice Noy by Peter Fox. Um, this is an artist I don't know super well either, to be honest, but... Um, there was a point in my uh, top 20 of 2022 where I spoke about discovering Rammstein through watching German MTV on a holiday in Spain. And this is one of the other songs that really stuck in my head. And every year, like at some point every year, maybe every six to eight months or something, I'll just get the little the sort of cello violin refrain from this stuck in my head. And I'll think of the I don't know if you watch the video, but there's some really striking imagery in it. It's a bit it's really quite odd. I didn't watch the video. No, that, I didn't. I'm annoyed now that I didn't do that. That's fine. I, I can give you a sort of potted description of it. But basically, this song is one of those ones where I was like, what the fuck is this as a 14-year-old? And I just had absolutely no frame of reference for it. I'm not sure I do to this day, to be honest. But just last week, it popped back into my head and I was like, what was that Peter Fox song? And I was sort of Googling it. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's the one. And there's something about the strange interpolation of... Um, that sample from Shostakovich's Seventh Symphony, symphony yeah. over those pounding military drums, and then the way it comes in with "Ich bin mein Studio schnupfer die Asche wie Koks, ich schlag mein Goldfisch vergraben in Hof." It's like, oh, this is cool. And there's a really weird underlying sort of sense of menace to it until you get to the builds that brings us to the chorus, which is so radiant and so jubilant. I absolutely love it. Um, just as a song, and to be honest, I've never listened to any other Peter Fox outside this, but it's. It's a memory that has persisted with me for the better part of half of my life now. Um, and I think it's just on the strength of those incredible hooks. Um, I have got some very surprising information about this song and Peter Fox generally. But Steve, I'd like to know what you think of this track first. I think this is absolutely fucking awesome. Mm. So I was like, because I, I was like, do I know who this is? Peter Fox? I think, and I was like, don't know. So this, the open, he's only done one album. Yes. Which is um, Stad Taft. Stadaffa. Yes. Stadaffa. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> but the sample, there's a sample from Ill, Ill Manners, from the original soundtrack from Ill Manners by Plan B. And I was like, I feel like I know this. I feel like I know a bit of the hook from it. And then I was like, oh, Plan B fucking half-inched it a few years down the line. Yeah. Um, look, you know, I mean, this went five times gold in Germany. Sold mm-hmm. 750,000 copies. Well done, mate. Congratulations to you. Bit of a shame he's only got one album, really. I mean, this is... You don't think Germans would be good at rapping with, you know, like when you think of that militaristic Teutonic Mm. stomp that German music is mostly known for the kind of the flow and the cadence and the, 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 the sort of flowing oceanic thing that you need to have as a rapper, that dexterity does not let you wouldn't think the German language would lend itself that well to it, but actually, what it does do. I mean, I'm not sure I would like to listen to loads and loads and loads and loads of German hip hop, but this does sort of sit somewhere between militaristic Ramstein and, I guess, a, 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 a more sort of pop hook filled 
hip-hop banger from the mid-2000s. Mm. A, Bubba Sp- a Bubba Sparks, if you will. Bubba Sparks meet- meets Ramstein, <laughs> I think, is a pretty decent pitch for this, art- yeah. <laughs> for this artist. Like, a weird-as-fuck one. But, uh, yeah, like, this is brilliant. This is really, really great. It's a fantastic song, isn't it? It's quite weirdly disorienting because it is something so unusual. And if you, if you um, take the time to translate the lyrics... The sort of the broad theme of it is very much in a sort of braggadocious bravado-led hip hop manner, where essentially it's Peter Fox introducing himself and saying, "Look, I'm going to burn down the establishment. I'm going to start my new thing. Here I am, Peter Fox eins Punkt eins. Ich bin das Update. It's fucking great." But that opening verse translates to, "I burn my studio, sniff the ashes like cocaine. I killed my goldfish, bury it in the yard. I'm chasing my place. I'm letting go of everything I have." Ugh. My old life tastes like soggy toast. And I wonder if there are maybe some um, cultural kind of <laughs> references or idioms that don't translate particularly well to English. But then when you hear it as I a song... Not. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. I hope not. That, I hope that is as weird in Germany. Are people are, I hope people are like, was ist das? Ich verstehe nicht when they heard it in Germany. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, what is this? I don't understand. Very good. Uh, Very it good. is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I remember a little bit of German. Um, <laughs> but I would like to say, actually, on the subject of um, Stadtaffer, I found some pretty, um, uh, pretty kind of, I don't know, um, impressive stats behind it. And it's funny that neither of us know much, if anything, about this sort of German hip-hop scene. Because, well, Peter Fox uh, is also a member of the German reggae and dancehall collective Seed, that's Seed with three E's, which I think would be even weirder than German rap, the idea of kind of like German dancehall reggae. But this album, um, across Germany, Austria and Switzerland, has sold one uh, 1,345,000 copies. It's got six times platinum in Germany, twice platinum in Austria and gold in Switzerland. And in 2011, it was the third most downloaded album in German music history. It was behind Adele's 21, an album called uh, Grosse Freiheit by Unheilig, who I can't say I'm aware of. But it was more downloaded than Lady Gaga's The Fame and David Getter's One Love in Germany in 2011. And today, it is still the 48th best-selling album in German chart history. And we'd never heard anything about him. It's absolutely astonishing, the kind of cultural divide that he's just not crossed over anywhere else seemingly you know he really only has made a name for himself in sort of germany and austria but i think this is fucking great and i need to go listen to the rest of the album yeah i would like to listen i think i probably will listen to the rest of it it's really this is really good um well done germany Remember when <laughs> germany were just sort of a bit embarrassing with pop music and I, no i don't they've never... No, they've always oh. been great yeah um par. But this and is the good. Others. Yeah. <laughs> and all the others, yeah. No, mate, I really, really like this. Good. Rather rather a lot. Um now for me, I was taken down something of a of, a, of an odd path when we reviewed King Eight Ten last week, right? Because I hadn't listened to their debut album. I, I listened to a bunch of stuff from them and just to kind of re-familiarise myself with it because like I said, the pro- previous album I really liked. Mm. And I went back to that Memoirs of a Murderer album and I was like, oh yeah, I suppose it's now actually, it does sound, a, new metal wasn't really cool yet. Like, you know, everybody's sort of like, new metal's great again these days. Mm. But there was a quite a kind of clunky rebirth of new metal that see i feel like it's taken a few years and yeah. i feel like the kind of the 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 new metal renaissance started a few years ago with a bunch of bands who people don't really 
talk about so much anymore. No. One of them is Kane Hill, right? Now, I have been listening to The New Jesus, which was the first single from the debut studio album by Kane Hill, Smile, which I actually reviewed for Metal Hammer. And I remember being quite excited by getting this record because people were going mad for that self-titled EP at the end of 2015. There were people who were like, oh my God, Kane Hill, like new metal's back. And like they really sounded like that kind of very, very vicious early new metal, but mm. with the kind of production from the, the latter era. And there's some fucking great songs on that um, that first Kane Hill album. Uh, that first Kane Hill EP, I should say. Gemini in particular, I think is the one that always just stood out for me. I thought it was really, really good. But people fucking hated them. Because they were like, why are they do just a fucking new metal band? Fuck new metal. Like it really didn't seem to, to hit. And even Kane Hill themselves, desperately didn't want to be tagged and tarred with the new metal brush i interviewed elijah witt the lead vocalist of kane hill and he told me that they were only really inspired and influenced by alice in chains mm. and it's like well maybe but you don't sound like alice in chains you sound like spine shank do you know what i mean you yeah. you, you just do you're mad to think you sound like alice in chains more than you sound like dry kill logic i mean to, don't. to be honest a lot of this song if you don't mind me jumping in sounds like a kind of mashup of mob scene by marilyn manson with white zombie um done through a kind of like debut album slipknot filter it does not sound like dirt you know this doesn't sound like rooster does it it's not down in a hole is it no no <laughs> no definitely not but i think the new jesus was one of about i was a little bit disappointed with the album when it came out it's 34 minutes long 10 tracks you know, I remember being like, ah, it's not as kind of new metally as the first one. I think that was then quite a cool spit, like sell, mm. you know, like, hey, we're bringing back new metal. And I know a lot of people fucking hated that genre, but do they? Do they really? And I think if, if Kane Hill came out now, it wouldn't be controversial or unusual in any way whatsoever. It would just be like, oh, yeah, cool. That band's doing that kind of new metally thing. It's quite zeitgeisty. I think, like, who is it? Blood you've split up this week. This I did, week. Yes. Like a hiatus this week. And, um, and they're another band who massively lent on the dynamics of new metal. Loathe massively lean on the dynamics of new metal. I don't think it's all they do, but Code Orange mm -hmm. massively lean on the dynamics of new metal. Like, loads of bands now do. And so Kane Hill were slightly ahead of their... They were so far behind their time that they were almost slightly ahead of their time. But the new Jesus really stood out to me. I think this is an absolute banger. What you've just described it as, as Marilyn Manson's mob scene with a bit of Rob Zombie produced by Ross Robinson making the first Slipknot album. That is that is the sell, isn't it? Mm. And for me, like having not heard anything even vaguely similar to that for a good sort of probably like 15 years at this point, well, maybe a bit, like, maybe like 12 years since then, right? I remember this coming out and or certainly Kane Hill coming along and being really like excited about them and they've just sort of gone away. And I think it's a shame that they kind of helped chip away at people's resistance to new metal. Mm. And it looks like the last time so they put a they put two EPs out in twenty twenty two and twenty twenty one. Crew de la Morte volume one and Crew de More volume two. They did an EP, Kill the Sun, in 2019. Don't remember that. They did Too Far Gone, their second album in 2018. Uh, I remember that not being very good at all. So who knows what Kane Hill are actually up to now. But they obviously didn't really command the same 
level of uh, success as they probably wanted to. No. Or that I think they would have done now. I think if they came back now with that debut Kane Hill EP, the self-titled EP with like Time Bomb and Gemini uh, on it, and they also had songs like A New Jesus, I think they'd be fucking mad. I think we'd be going mad for him now. Yeah. This, is a, this is just a great song. It is a great song. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And I think... Um... The thing for me, the thing for me that perhaps has maybe, maybe sort of stunted them at the time. Although even then, I don't, I don't think that the kind of state of heavy music at the time that this came out um, really lent itself to that anyway. But I think the fact that Elijah Witt is so clearly the the personality behind the band. I mean, the rest of the music it does just kind of feel like new metal, which I don't mean sound as disparaging as it does, but it does sound like the kind of latter, middle to latter periods of new metal where it did become a bit more faceless and it was it was more marketable. But then he is so fucking brilliant on this track. That's not necessarily a slight against the rest of the band. I think for me, he is able to go for that sort of Rob Zombie, White Zombie, like horror movie drawl and then go between something like David Gunn and even um, Anthony DiDio from Vane FM when he goes for the really harsh sort of barked vocals. I think he's really impressive. And it is weird that they've... They've not kind of broken through. I mean, I don't remember the second album. I remember people talking about that Kill the Sun EP because I believe that was a predominantly acoustic thing. And so, you know, there was a bit of furore of like, oh, they've dropped the metal. Oh, what's going on? And then, you know, there was some people going, oh, no, actually, it is really good. They're doing something interesting here. <clears throat> but looking into their history, because when you suggested this, I said, oh, Kane Hill, are they even still going? And you were saying, you know what? I don't know. And it was kind of, let's investigate that. It looks like they've not had a dissimilar trajectory to King Gate 1.0 where they've done a second album and then suddenly uh, through whatever circumstance, whether it was their own choice or they were dropped, but they've moved away from their label and started self-releasing everything. And as a result become not well, uh, I mean with King Gate, well, no, they're still talked about, but it's usually in a quite derisive and mocking manner. Whereas Kane Hill, I can't remember the last time I heard anyone talk about them. And it's a crying shame when you've got a song like this, because they are clearly capable of writing fucking bangers. Mm, I mean, I don't know what their recent stuff, sounds like at all who fucking knows who knows but there was a little moment where they looked like they were going to be a thing cane hill and yeah. it's just not really happened and uh there was a few that you know there's quite a few of those bands from around that time in that era who maybe like didn't quite it probably wasn't quite the right time it was maybe a little bit too early and they just kind of helped like i say chip away at people's new metals still always it's always going to be a bit of a dirty word but i think it you know, it it was a really dirty word up until about 2009, 2010. Oh, yeah. And yeah. then there were a few people were like, when Limp Bizkit back to, got back together, people were like, no, new metal's good. It is actually good. And then, it, but people weren't ready for new bands doing mm. that style quite yet. Uh, you know, I mean, I think people sort of thought Bring Me were slightly new metal from the sort of post sempaternal era or whatever but i think there's a bit more to it than just sort of pure old school new metal it feels weird to call new metal old school when you're as fucking old as i am but anyway <laughs> uh it didn't really happen who knows what they're doing now i don't actually know but what i do know is i like this song rather a lot um come back so yeah, on new Kane Hill. by Kane hill carry on carry playing. on playing let's talk about godflesh sam yes let's You've been wanting to review Godflesh live on this show since you were... Knee-high to a grasshopper. Knee-high to a grasshopper. Yeah, you yeah, got in there before me. I was yeah. going to think of a sort of funny industrial uh, 
sort of simile for it, but I, c- I couldn't. Well, why don't I do the review and you keep thinking about it and then you can chime in at the end with it? It's too late. Oh, you've ruined it now. Yeah. It's too late. <laughs> so this was... Um, anyway, you went to see Godflesh. Go on, sorry, I, go on. I did indeed. So yeah, this is a pair of shows that I've been waiting for since September. It was um, meant to be the weekend on the 9th and the 10th of September and it got bloody postponed the day before. So that was a shame. I will just say, for the record... Didn't end up going to the second one because the week prior, I was really unwell with some like virus that just knocked me for six. And when I woke up on the Saturday, I was knackered anyway. All my joints hurt like fuck. And then I checked my bank account and fucking Jeff Bezos had taken out the Amazon Prime subscription for the year. So I was like, it's the universe trying to tell me something. I'm too poor and too ill to go to this. Fuck it. But I did get to the first night and I managed to get there in time for Street Grease, which I was very, very happy about. And um, I think all of the promise that uh, I found in Take the Blood from My Body, um, that Street Grease song that I bought in a couple of weeks ago, was more than fulfilled with their live show. It was absolutely ferocious. So um, performers of five piece, uh, the two lead vocalists who are the blokes from Torrid Horror previously, uh, one of them is is the sole guitarist um, doing, the, doing the sort of more punky brash vocals. And then you've got the other one who's playing a percussive sample pad alongside live drums. And he was like the most terrifying sort of New York hardcore frontman I've ever seen. And there were points where he'd be playing um, his sort of sample pad percussion, adding these really nasty, abrasive industrial moments to it um, with the microphone fully in his mouth, just absolutely howling into it. Um, quite bare bones in terms of any production. It was the the sort of house lights of the 229. And then they had the sample pad and a sort of live sequencer um, that another member was playing with just these um, sort of fluorescent LED like tubes sellotape to them. It looked really kind of bare bones and uh, sort of chaotically industrial, but they sounded fucking awesome. Um, annoyingly, still, we don't have any more material, so I can't tell you what any of the songs were apart from Take the Blood From My Body, which they ended on, which they did about 50% faster than it appears on the recording, so it was ferocious. Um, but I can't wait to hear more from them. Apparently the EP is ready to go, mm. so I will definitely be keeping an ear out for that. They were excellent. Um, Great. They were then followed by Zetra. I I had been yet to see Zetra until that night, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still haven't seen them either. Yeah. So um, not what I was expecting. I was expecting something a little bit more kind of typo in its sort of gloom, but actually it was really, really shoegazy life, like really shoegazy. It was a bit closer to kind of what Death Heaven were doing on their last album, but with a more depressing air to it. And I'll be honest, um, with Street Grease, I th- it felt like they played for about 15 minutes when they had, I think, a 25-minute set. It absolutely flew by. With Zetra, they got 35 minutes, I think, and by by the end, it was like, yeah, I think you've been on a bit too long now. It was a real shame because you can tell they're very talented performers, and I think it was just the wrong night for them to be there because it really put a halt on the momentum of the sort of grisly end of what was going on. And I mean, certainly where I was, I mean, the 229 is not a massive venue, but not loads of people were mad into it, which was a shame for them. And I don't know how they got on on the second night, but didn't quite work on the evening. I'd be interested to see Zetra in their own environment on a bill that I think fits them better. However, that's not the reason everyone was there. As you could tell when you walked in and saw a sea of street cleaner and demo LP or demo EP hoodies, because yeah, obviously everyone was there for Godflesh. And I mean, Godflesh are just fantastic. Just an absolute wall of noise. And I will say for all three bands, the sound was absolutely fantastic. The 229 really, really held the acoustics well. It wasn't 
as loud as I've heard Godflesh can purportedly be. I know at Damnation 2021, there were people having to leave the main room because it was unbearable how loud the mix was. But you could really feel it in your gut as they were rattling through songs from the first half of their career. There were some absolutely brilliant moments. I mean, Crush My Soul in particular was a highlight for me. Um, but I think the the sort of highlight of it was the jubilant atmosphere in the room. Everyone just sort of beaming from ear to ear while they were going through this really grisly, suffocating industrial metal. And then you get Like Rats come through. And it's the same thing that I find happens at a lot of extreme metal gigs where everyone will be sort of enjoying it in their own way. There'll be the, you know, kind of moshes at the front and then there'll be everyone sort of stood, arms folded, like me, nodding along going, mm, yes, yes, this is very good. Oh, yeah, very powerful. And then you get the big hit. So when I saw Sugar for the first time and they did Bleed, it was the same as with Like Rats where people responded like, enter fucking Sandman had just dropped at Donington. People went absolutely <laughs> mental for it. It was brilliant. Everyone shouting and pointing the, to bleed like rats. It was great. And there was something really nice about the kind of intimacy of it and the fact that everyone was just enjoying themselves that I think was best exemplified with when they came on to do their encore, Justin was setting back up the visual backdrop, which was a screen of sort of imagery that incorporated a load of the band's artwork from across the years. <laughs> and the time code came up at the bottom just saying godfleshnight1.mp4 and it's like well that's a really cool humanizing moment in what is really quite cold and mechanical music and it it does explain why everyone here is so happy to be here i had a great time really really glad i made it and to be honest much as i love godflesh and i would say broadly i might actually prefer some of their latter day material i looked at the setlist for the second night i think i was definitely there for the better one because ultimately godflesh's music good as it is does all kind of sound the same so i'm not gutted that after so long waited waiting i didn't see them two nights running i think it would have been a bit much but i had i had a great time that's good that's good to know and do you think that uh, saying that like rats is, was received like enter sandman do you think that that means that they should replace lewis capaldi at the reading and leeds festival as a head the, the another headliner absolutely because i definitely do if that's the case yeah surely they should be headlining Get rid of Bring Me Their Eyes and I think they should be doing Glastonbury, mate. Pyramid stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Kick out John off, push his piano <laughs> into the pit. Fuck you, you little <laughs> bitch. <laughs> this one's oh, called Christbait Rising. Yeah. I'm glad. Right, anyway, good. Godflesh, done. Let's do an amazing <laughs> set of circumstances for news this week. Yes. Absolutely amazing. Let's start with the best bit of news. No, that's harsh. Um, or the news that Panic at the Disco split up. So Panic at the Disco, as Brendan Uri takes time to focus on his family, are no more. This is from Kerrang. Brendan Uri has called time on the band after almost 20 years, sharing a statement on Instagram. Brendan, oh dear, they've spelled his name twice. Diff- oh no, he's Brandon, isn't he? His name's Brandon. No, it's Brendan. It Don. Brendon. Is it Brendan? I've yeah. always called him Brandon. Oh, maybe he's like disrespectful. Because I love the Motley Crue song so much. So <laughs> I just always thought he was Brandon Yuri. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Brendan, um, he says in a statement, well, it's been a hell of a journey. Growing up in Vegas, I could never imagine where this life would take me. So many places all over the world and all the friends we've made along the way. But sometimes the journey must end for one new one to begin. We've been trying to keep it to ourselves. Though some of you may have heard, Sarah and I are expecting a baby very soon. I hadn't heard that. I don't even know who Sarah is. Sorry. Good luck to him. Sam shrugged. Good, yeah. luck, good luck to him. You know, just be safe, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah. The prospect of being a father. Don't know, there will be people listening who might not get that. It's a quote. 
right? It's not us being cunts. Uh, <laughs> the prospect of being a father and getting to watch my wife become a mother is both humbling and exciting. I look forward to the next adventure. Yada, 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 yada. That said, I'm going to bring this chapter of my life to an end and put my focus and energy on my family. And with that, Panic at the Disco will be no more. So Panic at the Disco are splitting up. I think it's a weird one, this, isn't it? Because essentially, Panic at the Disco split up when it just became his kind of solo thing rather than a band, right? Yeah, basically, yeah. Um, and... I, I, you know, fair play to him. I think you know he's making a call on the you know for the right reasons. He wants to spend time with his family. I think that's absolutely fair enough. I just don't give a shit because I don't really like any of the music he's put out. After I mean, I didn't mind a couple of the singles from was it Fever? Oh no, what's the album called? The first one, the uh, Fever You Can't Sweat Out. That is the one. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of singles on that that I remember liking at the time. But you know, I'm not that bothered in terms of you know I'm not cut up about it. Fair play to him. Fair play to Brendan. You know, he's doing what he wants to do. But yeah, is it really Panic at the Disco splitting up? Because... Mm, well, I'm looking at it yeah. here. I mean, I, I knew they fucking... So, this is former members and former touring members. So, it looks like Spencer Smith was in the band from 2004, which started to 2015. So, he was in it for a while. They had a bass guitarist from 2004 to 2006. Ryan Ross, 2004 2009. I think I remember them talking about him. Brendan's in the band, obviously, the whole time, mm. playing fucking drums and bass from 2015 onward. There's a guy, John Walker, 2006-2009. There's a guy doing bass guitar, keyboards and vocals from 2010 to 2015 and touring 2009-2010 and then in 2015. So since 2017, it's just been him. He's like the Trent Reznor of bad music. <laughs> well, I, like here's a so right what i would say is yeah when they first came out panic at the disco fever you can't swear out they were massive weren't they Everyone yeah, was yeah crazy for him it's like they're gonna be the new fallout boy cool. <laughs> oh, oh icarus why doth my fly uh etc etc and i got that album and i thought you know like you say there's some there's some really good songs on on that particular record I, and i i thought he's a he's a bloody good songwriter mm. i mean some of the names, obviously, are they look fucking stupid now. But, you know, it's better if you do. I wrote Sins, Not Tragedies. Uh, Lying's the most fun a girl can have without taking her clothes off. And what an awful name for a song. But mm. um, but that I remember that being a good song. I think, you know, there's there's some there's some pretty good songs on that first one. And I thought they were pretty good. I then didn't really pay that much attention to them. I don't think until... Uh, death of a bachelor in 2016 oh yeah that and was I, one people liked wasn't it yeah and i thought that had some i mean it wasn't really what i was that into at the time but i thought you know victorious hallelujah the title track there were some there were some pretty some pretty good songs i thought on that one i don't really remember obviously we considered <laughs> viewing viva last vengeance which came out last year yeah and i listened to that and I thought, well, let's just not, because mm. it's not really very good. But look, Panic at the Disco were, for a period, I think maybe before it turned into Brendan's own project. And I think, you know, he, there's plenty of rumours swirling around about what sort of person he is. He's obviously a quite controlling person. Mm. And I think you can tell from the fact that he's been, it's basically been a solo band for the last sort of eight years of its existence um 
I think you can kind of tell that like he's a pretty controlling person. He's a quite a kind of singularly visionary person. He's obviously very, very talented in terms of the songs, the 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 the, the way he put songs together. Mm-hmm. I think he's a very, he's a fucking super talented dude. Obviously, he plays lots of instruments on their albums, playing drums, playing bass, doing keys and vocals, and putting all together, you know, like, like composing everything. Uh, he's a really, really talented songwriter, and he's just chosen to go in a direction where he's writing more kind of showy, poppy, like big, bombastic pop songs. I don't think that's particularly a bad thing. No. I thought the last one was, you know, when the stuff I listened to on it, I was like, it's just a bit, it's a bit naff. You know, wet, it's just kind of, it's, it's a bit wet and a bit naff. Um, but as a band, I think you can't ever accuse let's call them quote unquote panic at the disco of being dull you know i don't think you can accuse them of being a dull band i don't think you can accuse them of not being interesting or not having an interesting career so on that level um for an 18 year long career i think they have been a pretty kind of a pretty cool band in within this scene an interesting cool band who i am not a massive huge super fan of but i have a kind of i'm not even gonna say grudging respect for i have a disconnected amount of respect for fair enough fair enough i mean you, yeah you can't deny that he knows his way around a pop hook i just generally find panic at the disco's music has broadly been it's that stuff that really gets under my skin even though a lot of it comes from a place of stuff that i really like you know we were talking about paramore a few weeks ago where they should have been an absolute dead cert for me in that kind of my chemical romance era of my music fandom but yeah these bands never really did anything for me and i with panic i've never got over that i just i hear it and i'm just like yeah this is the things that i didn't like when i was in secondary school even though they have moved well they he has moved away you know and he has done different things it's just Hmm. yeah i'm sorry to the people who like him but for me it's just whatever right you know yeah fair okay yeah i mean i'm not the biggest fan but like fair play like they're, they're, they're a big deal to a lot of people yeah uh here is uh, legality on the rise in a lot of legal jargon we're going to be talking through here sam oh joy um i don't know where to go which one first okay okay go yeah do that one first yeah <laughs> being sued by a cereal company post foods over the right to continue to use the band's name for a range of instant cereal cups mm. so according to um a federal court in minnesota uh, the band has been threatening to sue for months and post foods would be unfairly forced to continue investing in its new OK Go brand while under the constant threat of unfounded future litigation by the defendants. Um, so, yeah, basically, um, OK Go, who have been called OK Go for... Fucking, fucking ages. Yeah. Fucking ages. Um, <laughs> are getting sued by a company uh, who, b- b- ridiculously, they got the the trademark in 2022 why didn't okay go trademark their own fucking name when their first album came out in 2002 you've been a band for 20 years what you should you've not thought this through have you you fucking idiots and now some some they, this cereal company probably can't believe their luck yeah that they've gone uh should we call it that that is a good name for our cereal bar i mean it's not by the way but <laughs> it's not a good name let's let's just say it is anyway and and now they're gonna go should we have a look to see if it's been we probably can't trademark it can we oh fuck me we can't oh do that do that and then sue the band those guys <laughs> on the treadmills oh sue them definitely fucking brilliant like 
that is silly. I think this it, is a it's a silly thing. It is a silly thing. Probably not the most the most silly kind of suing story we'll be talking about uh, in a few minutes. But um, I think it sets an interesting legal precedent because I'm really looking forward to Kellogg's coming out with Iron Maidenos in the next few years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Can you imagine that? <laughs> Fuck me, you want to? I'm gonna I'm gonna start my uh, sugar Taylor Swifts <laughs> and. Sugar Just, babies. Uh, that would be like jelly babies, but yeah. Yeah, that'd be good, yeah. Um so okay go said they were kind of caught off guard by the lawsuit. I mean, again, you shouldn't have been caught off guard. A big <laughs> corporation chose to steal the name of our band to market disposable plastic cups of sugar to children. That was an unwelcome surprise, to say the least. But then they sue us about it? Presumably the idea is they can just bully us out of our own name since they have so much more money to spend on lawyers. I guess how that's often how it works, but hopefully will be the exception. Um, I mean, I feel you, lads. I feel you. Uh, that is that is not cool. <laughs> no, it's That not. is not cool. Having to change your name um, because some arsehole <laughs> uh, believes they have the right to your name, trust me from experience, is not great um but you know sometimes you end up with maybe they should change your name because sometimes you end up with a better name that like is we true. have yeah <laughs> uh, so uh yeah but um yeah, it's a funny story this isn't it what a funny what story, a funny yeah. story. <laughs> it's not a funny it's, it's just bizarre i can't believe okay go they're not even not even like they're a tiny band they're quite they're, they're a big band they're quite a big band yeah i mean they're certainly notable you know i mean as you say the, the, the treadmill notable. video here it goes i mean it's incredibly well known quite an innovative music video in its era well i suppose maybe just not today general, but yeah. yeah just in general but uh yeah it's one and a half million monthly listeners god nothing to here it goes up. again has had 113 million plays on spotify get over it 31 million that's nothing to be sniffed at, Sam. You'd think the label might have thought about, yeah, sort of protecting their asset at some point, wouldn't you? But hey, very, what very do strange. I know? I'm not the finest business mind of my generation. You're not. No, no, you're not. So there's that. And also, you'd think that that'd be the, you're not going to have two mad <laughs> suing things in one week. No, you are. The Black Eyed Peas are taking legal action against a US toy company over a pooping unicorn. Mmm. Right, so the Black IPs have launched a lawsuit against the toy company MGA over their the Poopsie Slime Surprise Dancing Unicorn toy. Yes, we have literally run out of words for things, names for things, haven't we? Yeah, this no is... wonder OK Go are getting their thing. It's just like, well, we can either call it OK Go or we can call it like Snotty Ball Bag <laughs> Sugary Kid Bum Surprise or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, you can't. There's no more names for things. No, this is truly um, end-stage capitalism. Yeah. And I think, that, I mean, on this side, so apparently this toy sings a song that sounds very much like one of the Black Eyed Peas' own hits. Uh, as heard in the product, product's pr promotional advert, when buyers press play on the unicorn, unicorn's heart-shaped belly button, a song titled My Poops Plays. And according to the hip-hop pop quartet and their team, it infringes upon the copyright of their 2005 smash hit My Lumps. The lawsuit states that the unicorn's lyrics read my poops my poops my poops my poops what are you going to do with all that poop all that poop deliberately mimicking the lyrics to the original black eyed peas track i mean i don't think it, it, that sounds pretty cut and dry to me it is have did you watch the advert that the article is making reference to no i watched I um about 20 seconds of it and I'm, I'd be quite happy for as much as I dislike Black Eyed Peas and the members therein. I'd be quite happy for them to 
ruin this toy company because fuck me like you say they're running out of ideas for names they're just running out of ideas they've got fewer ideas than William will i am has a day nearly call him william there he wouldn't like that but um <laughs> yeah uh it's absolutely pathetic and the thing is it is the music that goes alongside it i mean when you read it in terms of the lyrics and their structure it's like yeah there is no denying that it's a ripoff and it's even worse when you listen to it in that advert because they have just sort of tweaked the instrumentation behind it and just enough of the melody in certain lines where it's like they're probably going to get away with it as legally distinct because it is just not quite right. It's an uncanny valley version of the Black Eyed Peas super hit. Mm. $10 million they're asking for. Profit on that. Profit on that, isn't it? Just for being ripped off by a unicorn. Now, here's the thing. Uh... I would say to you, Sam, here's the problem with the Black Eyed Peas, right? Yes. Is that if you can, if you have written a song that can be ripped off by the Poopsie <laughs> Slime Surprise Dancing Unicorn Toy, yeah. I would suggest that you yourself are to blame in the first place yeah. for writing said song. Because let's be honest here, that they're, they're not going to cover, they're not going to cover Scott Walker, are they? They're not going <laughs> to, you know, they're, yeah. they're not going to, um, do like oh well we we got irony as a dead scene by the dillinger escape plan <laughs> and we've decided to call it when good unicorns do poop things like they're not mm. going to do that are they no. because that is too good for children like for, for just some stupid shit dumb fucking crap pop song is what they're going to want on a preschool unicorn toy advert so you kind of need to take a little bit of responsibility here yourself black eyed peas because you did right my humps and they've not really changed it that much no i mean it's they've not had to because it's already an unbearable song it's already a song built to be accompanied by excrement yeah it is yeah. i mean it's one of the all-time bad it's one of the all-time bad songs i think my humps i think i've said this a bunch of times before with the black eyed peas their songs sound like they take longer to listen to than they do to write <laughs> yeah probably just a, I got a feeling, I do it and do it and do it. Right, loop that. Yeah. Monday, Tuesday, out. Wednesday, Pro. Thursday, and the rest. And the other days of the week. You do can fill the, that, finish that in post. Do that. Put that on the AI. Get it out. My humps, my humps, my humps, my humps, my humps. Right, loop that. Get it out. Put it out. They never used to be like that, the Black Eyed Peas. They used to be all right, you know, mm. back in the day. How, how Not anymore? What a fall from grace! What a fall from grace! Will I am, uh, yeah, you know, like th this is what happens. Will I am when you when every idea that pops into your head, you think is is utter genius, mm. and you put it out, and no one goes, no, don't do that, because you know, don't put that out, because in eighteen years' time, a cartoon unicorn will be shitting a, a nappy to the sound of the song that you've just written. No, it'll be all right, man. It'll be great. People will love it. No, mate, no. I I have absolutely zero sympathy for the Black OPs in this instance. No. Absolutely zero. I hope they lose the court case and I hope people go up to them when they talk about this and they go, oh, you're the uh, unicorn shit band, aren't you? I hope that's what they become known for. I would like that. That's what I would like. So I've, I've got no sympathy for them. Fair Not enough. At all. I, I mean, I don't really like either part involved in this, but uh, whoever wins, we lose, as Alien versus mm. Predator said. Yeah. Um, right, it's time for Heafy Watch. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> it's usually Healy Watch. So Matt Healy um, and Matt Heafy, what a 
what a hilarious mix-up. The original the odd what couple. A, what a funny, like, buddy story they could be, right? <laughs> and I sort of mentioned, unfortunately, I didn't get to go to Trivium on the, in the same week as going to see the 1975 because mm-hmm. it all got went to shit. But I would have loved that because I would have been able to go <laughs> Heafy on Sunday, Healy on Monday. Oh, don't get them mixed up. Don't get them mixed up. Don't go and try and kiss Matt Heafy and then bang your head in front of Matt Healy. That would be, t- be ridiculous, wouldn't it? But yes. somebody did get the two of them mixed up. So um, Matt Heafy from Trivium does cameos. Mm. You seen these things? The oh, cameos? yes, 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 yes. Oh, yes. have I? You ever been tempted to purchase somebody? Who'd you get? I had a couple of quid. Oh, I'm I'm tempted to cut a quid line around. Well, I think I'm going to have to say it now because I I obviously have one in mind, and I know he's going to be listening, so it's going to ruin the surprise. Niall, my mate Niall, for his next birthday, I am going to get him a cameo of Derek Green from Sepultura because he believes sincerely that the Derek era stuff is better, which is mental. But I know he really likes Derek what? Green. Yeah, I know, I know, but he loves Derek Green, so I am Niall. Spoiler alert: you're going to have to let me know when your birthday is so I can do this. But you're getting a Derek Green cameo this year. Hey, that's what he thinks. <laughs> you silly get. Have you ever been anyway. tempted by a cameo, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was looking Freddy at someone Star. and I was like, well, Bobby Davro. Abs from, oh. abs from <laughs> not Bobby Davro. And, you know, <laughs> God, in God, God, video. Yes. I said, video. Uh, me, and, me and my mate go on YouTube. Pathetic. We go on YouTube and watch really old 80s TV shows. And we found an 80s TV show called Copycats, which is like just unbelievably bad impressions. Unbelievably, unbelievably bad impressions. Bobby Davro. As Mrs. T. It. He does he does Mr. T fully blacked up yeah, just it, after doing Jonathan King. It is horrific, and then blacks honestly. up and then blacks up to do Lionel Richie. And then does Jonathan King again. And then does Gary Glitter. It's like <laughs> fucking hell. Nothing's aged worse than that. No. Nothing in history has ever aged worse than that. It's unbelievable. Uh anyway, no. <laughs> Abs. I get, yeah, I get Bobby Tavra and go. Can you do that skit you did of Mr. T back in 1985 and then just get him cancelled? I might do that. Do that. Yeah, Absent yeah. 5 was doing one. I was going to get Absent 5. I thought oh, about getting okay. Absent 5 to do a, a, a birthday thing for my mate, but I didn't do it in the end. That would be good. Anyway, Matt Heafy does it. And uh, a guy booked him to do it. But he thought it was Matt Healy from the 1975. Oh, so, what you a know, palaver. He thought he'd struck gold, it says in the thing, but he got a nice one. Um, and uh, apparently um, he was he was delighted. He said, uh, I went on Cameo, as you do. <laughs> I don't actually. We've I all don't, done don't it. Actually, yeah. mate. To look at the options. Great options. Great cameos, explains a guy called Colin. Uh, and suddenly Matt Healy shows up and I'm like, no way, he's doing cameos for $75. I was like, that's wild. That is wild. <laughs> this is a direct quote. That is wild, isn't it? That is wild. That is mental. Needless to say, Colin jumped on the chance to order a personalised message from mm. one of his friend's favourite artists. Except when the cameo came through a few days later, he didn't quite get what he was expecting. A couple of days later, I received this. Uh, it's uh, Matt Heafy from Trivium. Um, and uh, yeah, he basically, Matt Heafy does a nice cameo where he's like, hello, how, you know, Happy holidays. 
thanks for liking my band and then he says he likes the same sort of steak as them apparently he's like oh he likes steak so mention that <laughs> like, oh like yes raw yeah, steak yeah. <laughs> so good um but yeah it's it, uh it, that was that was quite a funny little thing hilarious not as funny yes. hilarious <laughs> it's sort of hilarious but yeah it was always gonna happen wasn't it it was it was bound to happen it was always gonna happen, yeah, bound yeah, to yeah. happen. um this is maybe my favorite news story of the year okay so uh, far well and i, I haven't say, heard so far yet. yeah fine um which i know is quite early but i think it's got a hell of a thing to beat right okay <laughs> priest goes to hell <laughs> and says the demons were singing rihanna yes. have you seen this i did see this yes yeah fucking unbelievable like there is so much to unpack here. Priest <laughs> Gerald Johnson witnessed indescribable torture after he temporarily died and was plunged into the inferno, says Dazed, <laughs> Dazed Magazine. So, a Michigan man, Gerald Johnson, a priest, no less, temporarily died from a heart attack in 2016 and found himself in the realm of Satan. <laughs> now... We'll get into what he was doing, why he went, why did he go to hell, mate? We need to discuss mate, this. you're a priest. Don't confess that you went to hell. That's yeah, such I, a bad, like you shot yourself in the foot What could there, he have mate. done? Yeah. Oh. What could he have been doing oh, as would, a priest? wouldn't like to say anything about child sex Probably scandals. It's, yeah. clear, it's a, a, a clerical error, nothing <laughs> An more. An ecumenical matter. <laughs> uh, I mean, his name is uh, Gerald Johnson. Maybe they were looking for... Um, Go Gerald on. John Stone oh. and it's a bit like the Matt he was looking on cameo filled the form in wrong yeah. the, he said my spirit left my physical body what other type of body do you have <laughs> that's a fair point yeah okay I mean if we're going to get semantic body. this could take quite yeah, a while yeah. but yeah uh, I thought I was going upward because I thought that I had done so much good in this lifetime and helped so many people and made many decisions that were godly decisions <laughs> No, no. I'm supposed to be going up. I went down. I literally went to the centre of the earth. That's where hell is. <laughs> that is where hell is. I have heard. Well, I'm glad that we know that now. Um, so he got to hell and he saw a bunch of stuff. Like a bloke on all fours, walking like a dog on all fours whilst being burnt from head to toe. Fucking hell. He said his eyes were bulging and worse than that, he was wearing chains on his neck. That like doesn't sound... Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, like Mr. Bobby Tepro. I was going to say, yeah, I don't uh, think wearing chains on your neck is as bad as your eyes bulging out of your skull. <laughs> on fire. Come on, man. You, I can set fire to you. I can put this chain necklace on you. Oh, get the gasoline, right? I don't want a chain on. Oh, no. He said, worst of all, it was a demon holding the chain. But the most bizarre thing he saw mm. whilst being subjected to his sins, although he's been a nice guy, I don't know what he was doing. It should have been just, it was a clerical error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a rendition of Rihanna's Umbrella performed by a demonic cover band. Oh, misfits were there. Or Lordy, maybe. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Lord, I mean, they're all alive, so you would imagine they're. Yeah, but so this, know, so is this guy. They're not. They could have all gone just for a few minutes, but he was dead. Oh, well, maybe. Um, he says uh, that um, basically every lyric to every song is torment to you, for the fact that you didn't worship God through music when you're on Earth. You chose to worship Satan by repeating the lyrics that he inspired to come to, into the Earth, and then he lifted up out of hell and came back to Earth. And then God began to speak to him in the form of the real Jesus. That's Elijah Witt from Cain Hill. Yes, yeah. Uh, and saying that he sent him to hell for not forgiving those that did him wrong. 
Oh, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Fuck me, we're all going to hell then, aren't we? You're too good. You're going to hell. You are. Sounds like there's someone on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> no, you did that. No, you're going to hell. Yeah. Uh, you dropped litter. Um, <laughs> litter bugs. But that's mad. They're playing fucking Umbrella by Rihanna in, in hell, apparently. Mm. That's not that bad, does it? No, not really. It's a great song. I mean, apparently the new metal revival was kicking off in hell, though, if everyone was wearing chains, so that's good. Yeah. Might have been all right down there, actually. Wallet chains. And that guy wasn't on fire. He was just wearing one of them flame shirts. (laughs) Like Guy Fieri. Back in the 90s. Amazing. I mean, the guy, like... This is just a, it's just a chance for him to shit on Rihanna, isn't it? Like, I do, He's a priest and he'd rather invent the fact that he is <laughs> going to hell. hell just to shit on Rihanna. What's your fucking problem, man? Honestly. Pathetic. These people. Absolutely <laughs> pathetic. What a wanker, really. <laughs> Gerald Johnston, get back to hell. Get back down there. Get on all fours. Get that chain on. Get out of my sight. That's an amazing story. Like, that's an amazing story. I mean... It was just a TikTok as well. So it's not even a story. Like, do you know what I mean? It's one of those stories you look at and you go, there's there's nothing there's nothing about this that could really be considered a real story. <laughs> like it's just one <laughs> bloke. Believe but you know, believe priests. We should believe yeah, priests. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Uh very good. Anyway, let's do a couple of quick reviews before we get into the celebration of Mike Patton. Let's start with Rush by Mamaskin, the third studio album from the Italian Eurovision winners. I follow up to their 2021 album Teatro di Aliera Volume 1. Monaskin. Mm. As we sit here in January 2023, are massive. Yes. They are impossible to ignore at this point. So fucking weirdly massive. They're playing the O2, Sam. Sold the out. Fucking O2. Good lord. Good lord. They're a big deal now, aren't they? And it's come from pff, nowhere, really. Well, it's come from that Eurovision thing, but yeah. they've got. 26,286,322 monthly listeners for a modern rock band whose first album came out in like 2016, 2017, 2017. That is absolutely mad. That is so many people for a, a rock band in 2023. Like, uh, it's unbelievable. This is huge. And they're a band that, we, you know, we haven't really spoken about Ma- Maliskin apart from, I mean, I, I did uh, Hellbent for Metal with Tom yes. Dare and he was saying how much he fucking hates them. And I don't really remember the song that they won Eurovision with, but off the top of my head, I can't remember what it sounds like. But I remember being like, yeah, it's just a kind of basic kind of rock song. Mm. It's fine. Um, but they are really big. Absolutely massive. I mean, I, yeah, that O2 show apparently sold out six months um, prior to it happening. I mean, I don't know. When is it? Is it in June? Because I know it's sold out, you know, well in advance. And it is quite incredible that a young rock band are doing that in this climate. You know, you think about every rock band who's come up over the last, I don't know, what, since since the turn of the millennium. There aren't many who've skyrocketed quite as quickly. Yeah, it's, it's fucking insane. They are playing the 8th of May. 8th of May, yeah. In London, I'm just looking at, uh, at tickets now. And... Oh, uh, well, I would imagine there'd only be obviously there'll be some on OT resale, but I would think that even those would be ridiculously inflated because they are so sought after. They did that show at the Underworld, didn't they? I remember that um, was a yeah. first come, first served, and I think there were people camping for two days to try and get in. 
something like that. And then I think they only did nine songs, and I think people are a bit annoyed about that anyway. Fucking cheeky cunt. Yeah. Well, they put that Reading to go and do the VMAs as well, didn't they? I mean, that's how big they are, you know. They, they're getting these yeah. global offers that are more lucrative than actually being a band at, at times. Yeah, it, it looks sold out from what I can tell. For, certainly from the A2's official shop, mm. it is no tickets available. Mental. Absolutely fucking mental. That is that is crazy. Mm. Um, so, you know, we kind of fucking had to talk about them, really. Uh, they apparently, um, for this record... Bassist Victoria D'Angeli said they were listening to Radiohead during the recording of this album, and it meant that they tried to experiment a bit more with their sound right. for this record. <sighs> Fuck me. Really? <laughs> How basic was their stuff before this, then? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really listening to it. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the experimentation I can hear is that they've got some sort of indie rock swaggery bits that sound a bit like Arctic Monkeys and some that sound a bit like Franz Ferdinand and then there's one song towards the end where the guitars sound a bit like John Frusciante's playing them. That, yeah. That's broadly it, isn't it? So are they the saviors of rock or what? I guess is what we get into now, isn't it, with Rush? On the strength of this album, absolutely not. I don't really know exactly kind of what this is meant to be, to be honest. I mean, you've already sort of said it. Like, th- this is... This is well basic. It is very basic. Well basic rock songs, which to, essentially. To be fair, not inherently a bad thing. And I think there are some songs on no. this that I think are all right. To be honest, I, I think there are more songs that I'm kind of okay with than ones that I outright hate. I mean, the the one that I outright hate, and it comes, what, uh, four, four tracks in, is blah, blah, blah. And at that point, oh, I was thinking, awful. fuck me, does this really need to be over 50 minutes? I mean, there is quite evidently stuff that can be cut out of this record. Um, I mean, blah, blah, blah is probably the nadir of this album for me. Um, there are a couple of others that, I mean, certainly towards the end, it really, really loses its way. But I think there are some bits on it that are kind of interesting. And yes, they are done in a basic way. I mean, a song like Cool Kids... I mean, the, the kind of lyrical narrative of, you know, being addicted to rock and roll is such a well-worn path. And I don't think they're doing anything massively exciting in there, but it, it does kind of ape the post-punk revival at the moment. It does sound a bit like Idols. I mean, particularly Idols on Ultra Mono, which is not Idols at their best. And, I mean, it's not a great song, but it is something a bit different. And the thing is, at least, like, it's something sort of dynamically different within the album. I don't think it's great, but I do think the fact that it is basic is not inherently a problem. but And the fact that it's no. reaching so many people, I mean, maybe they are going to open up some sort of, like, gateway for people to go and listen to more rock music. I mean, how many people... I know there is a history of people doing interviews at Bloodstock and stuff like that, you know, whether it's Vox Pops with the crowd or whether it's with bands and stuff like that. And people talk to, particularly the audience members, about what was the album that got you into metal? And so many people to this day still say hybrid theory. And it's like, that's a basic fucking new metal album. But it's got loads mm. of people who listen to, you know, kind of more interesting and more involved and heavier stuff so i mean maybe this could do that i mean it's it's already they're clearly a fucking brilliant band i mean i did have a look on their wikipedia and um correct me if i'm wrong they've they've shifted the equivalent of something silly like 14 million units sort of via streaming and it's like for a rock band to do that i mean it's fucking impressive it's a shame that the quality is not there i think this is the thing right so what I don't like about this record is that I don't feel like I have any fucking idea who or what Maniskin actually are. Right? No. So everything you've just said is correct. This will be a gateway 
into rock music for people and when we said about it being a gateway i think like tom when we discussed it before and he hated them was like this is not a gateway into metal it's not a gateway into metal definitely not no it might be a gateway into kasabian it might be a gateway into like you say franz ferdinand it might be a gateway into arctic monkeys it might be a gateway and do, you know how much of a gateway do those bands need yeah really, i mean to be fair like not not massively loads you know it might be a gateway into royal but then you know it might be a gateway into royal blood mm. or someone might go who's that guy on that uh, tom morello who's he oh he's in a band called Regents machine i'll listen to them and then a few months later you're listening to downset uh that's obviously not going to happen but uh you know you, you get what i'm sort of theoretically getting at i think the problem is you've already sort of hinted at it a little bit there's a song called blah 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 which is interminable terrible. yeah absolutely fucking absolutely terrible fuck you it's it's embarrassing. Mm. It's absolutely embarrassing. You don't have to be Tolbin Ulrich to say delete <laughs> that I would delete that. No. Thing. It's one of the worst songs you will hear this year. It's fucking diabolically bad. For a little bit, the first sort of few songs, you know, the the open songs are perfectly fine, sort of strutty, disco-y rock song. Um, uh, I think both of them actually have that kind of slightly disco-y indie rock beat thing and they're mm -hmm. a bit sort of strutty and you know like it's fairly well produced without it ever being that particularly raw or rough or anything i think they're just a bit bland which is a shame as you know because they do have so many eyes on them but i think what they do is quite unremarkable to begin with you know like it is quite basic mm. and it's not basic in a say what you like about lincoln park right say what you like about hybrid theory and i don't want to listen to hybrid theory particularly particularly i don't really respect linkin park i don't like that album um but when you listen to it even though we all thought linkin park were just like a much more sort of nicer sanitized pg-13 version of what had happened in new metal everything in new metal from the the five years prior to it you knew who they were you knew what they were mm -hmm. you know you'd listen to linkin park and you'd go you know what just what i described there they are a you know a kind of uh a much more um sort of safe cuddly version of what corn or deftones or snot or soulfly had been doing or static exit of fear factory had been doing from a few years before it's kind of an extension of that maniskin i you know like there's a song called time zone and i actually like it it's a sort of full-blown mm. pop power ballad but it starts like kind of maroon five covering santeria by sublime and it's a real earworm but it's like uh, there's not a lot of kind of ingenuity in it it's not that much more there's not that much craft in it and it just doesn't really sound very contemporary and i think at least lincoln park sounded contemporary when they came out yeah and I think, like, you know, again, like, there's, there's a few good songs in it, I think. But but it just seems to sort of go all over the gaff. And you're like, I don't really know what Maniskin are, really. Like, blah, blah, blah is awful. Mm. You get one, Baby Said, which I think is is a pretty kind of catchy, like, AOR, almost like Journey, Duran Duran doing Journey or something. Um, and then, I mean, you mentioned Cool Kids. I think that's fucking... I do not understand... I cannot comprehend what the hell they were thinking because that song goes from, you know, we're not pop. One of the lines is we're not punk, we're not pop. Well, you're not, you're not punk. I'll give you Definitely that. Definitely not. And then yeah. they follow it up with this like John Bon Jovi cowboy ballad. And it's just like, what are you? I don't know what you are. Like, you're not great at any of these. They're not, they're, they're quite good. 
Like there are a few quite good songs on this. Mm. It's not an interminably dreadful, terrible record, but it's. And I suppose you should be like, you know, good for them for having plenty of dynamics and yada yada yada. But I really just I don't get. Like, I don't get it. Like, I don't get, like, any real sense of who Maniskin are on this record. It just sounds like a kind of composite of loads of different rock bands who are sort of much better than them. And I think at least when Linkin Park came out, or at least when, let's pick another really, at least when Def Leppard came out, you could go, ah, that's glam glam rock given mm. a kind of 80s pop sheen and that's what it is i don't really know what this album is and i think sometimes it can be quite good and sometimes it can be like there's a song called read your diary where he's talking about champagne on your panties mm. and that's like the first line i was like you know after that i was sort of out there's a song called mark chapman it's in italian yeah i'm pretty glad it's in italian because i don't really want to know what they're talking about i did actually translate the lyrics and it appears to be about obsessive fans but I call it Mark Chapman for fuck for fuck's sake. And then, you know, you get a, like, Mamma Mia, they go, we're, well, we remember, we're Italian. We're Italian, aren't we? It's literally like, oh, I'm not on drugs. I'm, there's one of these, I'm not on drugs. I'm just Italian. And it's proper like, oh, I'm mad me, aren't I? <laughs> oh, my mad said, oh, God, I'm wearing a, oh, I'm, I'm wearing a, 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 a odd socks yeah. and I'm wearing a, got a feather wearing a Mickey in my, Ma- yeah. I'm wearing a Mickey Mouse tie and into the office. I'm a bit mad, me. Don't worry. You're probably a bit like weirded out by my crazy sense of humor. And it's just a bit dull. And I think the thing with this band is like, good luck to them. They are fucking massive. They're just a bit boring. You know, they're just a bit boring for all the kind of sexiness and the Eurovision mm. win and the coke sniffing and the interest surrounding them and the things that they've done and whatever. Ultimately, they're just quite a boring band. And the thing that they need is a super strong identity and some really really great songs yeah and if they had that with the package of the eurovision stuff and the fact that they are incredibly attractive group of people you'd kiss them all on the lips maybe you you would well you would i'm more respectful than that i certainly wouldn't tell (laughs) you about it well i'm not i'm saying to you like were it to arise if me and maniskin were hanging out in the hotel room Mm. And they poured champagne on my panties. Oh God, let it now. <laughs> that I'm is fucking, grim, isn't it? Yeah. I might, I might cut that out. Um, you know, I won't. But no, you won't. Should, definitely not. Really. Yeah. If I had any, if I had any, <laughs> if I was a real man, I'd cut it out. If I had any kind of anything about me at all, I would cut it out. But you know, they've got a few decent songs in here, but they haven't got anything that is really like now. Nah, that is an absolute fucking all-time worldy banger. That no. nothing on this record. Seventeen tracks long. It's a hell of a slog. There's no real personality, really. Um, and it just feels a little bit like, oh yeah, it's a bit of a shame because you would love Maniskin to come out and release a really fucking awesome, like Im- imagine this was pre, not prequel, was it like if Impera by Ghost mm. came out and it was, and if this album was that, my God, you'd be going mad. You'd be going, oh fucking hell, look, they've done it. They've got 30 million, 25 million monthly listeners, 40 million copies, they're fucking massive. This is the album that we've all been wanting this band to make. Like, and then you would feel like, you know, this huge rock band, because as big as Ghost are right now, Maniskin are surely bigger than them. Oh, they I'm must gonna be. Double check. They must I'm going to double check that just so that I don't look like a bloody idiot. Yeah, Maniskin are like about 15, 16 million times more monthly listeners than Ghost. Not time, Ghost got surely. nine million. Yeah. 
not times. Yeah, no, extra, right. yeah. No, sorry, yeah, extra. Ghost, Ghost have got 9 million listeners. Maniskin have got 25 mm. monthly listeners, 26 month, million monthly listeners. So, they and, and you know, look how fucking mad people are going for Ghost. Because their music's really good, as well as the package is amazing, their music's really good as well. Maniskin, if they brought an album out that sounded like that, you'd fucking love it. Mm. You absolutely would. I think you're absolutely right. And I think the bit, in your sort of critique that I think really rings uh, truest for me is that idea of it being composite and it is all very surface level and the thing is yeah they do have the appearance and they do have the package of controversy and you know being kind of sexy enough that people want to know what's going on with them that is absolutely there but I mean I, again we're sort of looking at their Wikipedia because I was like well what have they actually done because to be honest I have been quite blind to Maniskin to this point but as you say at this point you can't ignore them I was going to listen to this regardless was reviewing it because it was like well there's got to be something going on here that they're getting this massive and you look at the influences they list and it is so disparate and so broad and it's like well in theory that could be something really interesting and then it's not it is broadly White Stripes by way of Arctic Monkeys and Franz Ferdinand and a little bit of kind of again new wave stuff and then some kind of post-punk revivalist stuff and none of it's done particularly well like there are songs in here that I, I I do like. I don't think any of them are brilliant, but there are songs in here that I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Listen to that. If that came on at a pub that I was in, I wouldn't, you know, throw my pint over anyone. Um, but yeah, it's just it's a bit of a damp squib, really, isn't it? Technically, that's illegal to do that. Technically, so. yeah. Um, but I mean, I've seen some pretty fucking glowing reviews for this as well. Like I've seen some places giving it kind of eight nines out of ten. It's like, what are you hearing? I mean, is that just just the kind of the hype getting the better of the person reviewing it i don't know and i don't obviously i can't speak to each individual person because i don't know them but it's like i don't know what people are hearing this that means that maniskin are the ones that are so big beyond just appearance and controversy and it's like when will that bubble burst because i think it'd be pretty fucking quick if they don't come up with some really really good songs yeah i think that is the thing isn't it you kind of like i actually want them to succeed really because i look at them yeah. and go, they look cool they look great you know the eurovision song was was cool i don't think you know they're never gonna when people are like you know and thomas going is someone gonna get into catatonia because they listen to maniskin no and it's like well no they're not but like you know i, I would suggest that like that's really very 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 niche yeah very niche um so but are but if you want people to listen to more guitar music you're going to want people to listen to a band like this and then hopefully they at least spread people out to go and okay i'm going to check out i don't know oh, audio slave or or creeper or something like do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely a younger good new band like oh, i'm going to go and listen to um jamie lenman because i got into maniskin mm. and i was like oh, i've never really listened to rock music before but i think with this it like i'm not sure that it's got it's going to have that much of a lasting legacy which i think is a bit of a shame and i think a lot of it is due to the fact that there's just too much like weirdly for an album which it's not that interesting dynamically not really you know no. it's not really like particularly dynamically interesting they still throw too much shit at the wall mm. because they don't really hit like they don't really hit a enough i don't think it's like, simultaneously that, overstuffed that cool kids, and underfilled isn't it yeah that that cool kids into if not for you really sums it up for me because you've got like you say like why are they trying to be idols mm. why are they trying to do fucking idols and say they're a punk band and then the next minute they sound like 
Aaron Lewis from Stain. <laughs> yeah. Like, it just doesn't work. It just does not work at all. And so I think no fucking shade on Maniskin as a band, but this is this just isn't really up to it, I don't think. And I feel bad because I don't want to... I don't really... Like, I don't want to sort of shit on them and I don't want to belittle them or anything like that. But no. I'm just not sure that this is ever going to be anyone's favourite album. No. To be honest. No. Bummer. Anyway, Rush, Rush, Hurry, Lover, Come To Me by Monoskin is out now. Coming out today, if you listen to this album of the day, this album, this podcast, as if this podcast is an album. Double album at least double album yeah, yeah. um xl life the boogie down south the debut album from the welsh hardcore punk rap crossover crew hotly tipped band this lot former members of the band asteroid boys who were quite hotly tipped when they were around got a song on the radio on rock show i believe uh they played 2000 trees last year bob villain is on this album and it's been released on ven records which is you know Ooh. considered a cool label so i think they've got a fair bit going for them this band and um you know, it's not that long. It's only nine tracks. The longest track on the album is four minutes and 23 seconds. The aforementioned Bob Villain song, Baby Steps. Mm. And funny, isn't it, actually? Because there's a song called Baby Steps on the Maniskin album as well, isn't there? Yes, and I think we know which one's better. Oh, Baby Said. Baby oh, said. God. Oh. Baby Said and Baby We've Steps. Both been caught My out. bad. Anyway, um, yeah, go on then, Sam. I feel like you're about to talk about this band. What do you reckon? So, uh all all that sort of preamble of like how hotly tipped they are and stuff like that. I feel like I must have been living under a rock because I had not heard of XL Life prior to this, even though I knew all the sort of constituent parts that were going into it. I mean, obviously I'm aware of Venn Records and I knew Asteroid Boys and I know Bob Villain, but yeah, this has totally passed me by in terms of any sort of build-up and my word, don't I feel a silly sausage. I can see why these are hotly tipped. I think this is really, really strong. Nine tracks in just, just under 29 minutes and probably i suppose in terms of the genres it pulls from less dynamic than the maniskin album but there's a focus to it that makes it so much more punchy and a a kind of intrinsic knowledge of the things that they are doing that makes this really really satisfying in a kind of step to rhythm era turnstile manner so the first song shout um really caught me by surprise because i thought well bob villains on it it's gonna have some of that kind of you know um contemporary british punk kind of verve to it and that swagger and when shout comes in there's that percussion speeding up really 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 quickly and i thought ah is it going to be a bit like saber cox i can blues by mccluskey it is basically the polar opposite of that as we get that fragmented really soft piano with um the vocalist tracks um doing a kind of broken spoken word thing that then erupts into him absolutely screaming over it with that spoken word playing underneath I think this really really cool dynamic interplay between those two quite disparate vocal styles and then the rest of it i think um yeah it works through some really really aggressive and then some really positive melodic hardcore stuff i think if you want it you can get it, it is a rollicking punk soul it's all db hardcore that one really really sounds like step to rhythm turnstile for me it goes between aggressive breakdowns and two-stepping it's awesome i think baby steps with bob villain is absolutely brilliant the taut production on that and the kind of deliberate clipping of the guitars makes it feel really really ferocious and quite vital and i think bob villain um coming in when it goes a little bit quiet before it all explodes at the end is absolutely excellent um and then uh, i i don't think they do loads and loads and loads on this album but i think what they do they do sublimely i think these days that quite a one mic in the room sort of um clean electric guitar that they've got before it does turn into 
more sort of typical melodic hardcore, a little bit more sort of in the vein of early Touche Amore, but with that undeniable positive mental, positive mental attitude kind of thing that you get in, well, I mean, hate breeds modus operandi. It's fucking great. Um, and then built to last, I was thinking, is it going to be a sick of it all cover? It's not, but it's still fucking Close great. enough, isn't it? I mean, it fucking <laughs> pummels you to finish that album off. Like I thought after these days, it's like, well, it can only be a cover that's kind of a bit of a bonus track. But no, it's not. It's just an absolutely savage beat down to finish it. I think this is great. I am really, really impressed by this. And I feel a lemon for not knowing this band prior. Yeah, okay. You, I think you like it maybe a wee bit more than me, but that's not to say that I don't enjoy this because I very much do, actually. I think starting out with a song called Shout, which is really slow and dubby and loungy musically, mm. and, and you know there is some shouting on it, as you said. They have a heavy side and they have aggro vocals, but you are like, oh, okay. And then, again, you've got this quite kind of quiet, lackadaisical trap beat which starts if you want it you can get it and then you get like this massive sort of ghost of a thousand style riff i think turnstile is a really great shout for them i think if you like turnstile yeah and you like maybe the early days of turnstile when they weren't quite as experimental as they are now because like you say you know essentially this to me feels like a hardcore album i mean there are some little electrical song... accoutrements that i think creep in yeah. so yeah i'd say it's kind yeah, of yeah. maybe second album to, or just before time and space turnstile is where this sits for me mm. Yeah, non-stop feeling sort of. Yes, yeah, yeah, that was the one I was trying yeah, to think yeah, of the yeah. name of, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, you know, the song with Bob Villain on that we mentioned is, I think is fucking great. It's mm. got this amazing mix of like two-step hardcore, Bronx-style punk and roll riff, massive bounce, the hook is brilliant, Bob Villain comes in and delivers a really, really great, um, like, just gangbuster, like, verse on it. It's awesome. Um, it's got that kind of gallowsy, wiry punk um guitar on feeling away which i really really like bit of cowboy a bit of cowbell on gray place <laughs> really good as well yes. um the outro to just do it it's got this kind of old school dub mixed with kind of electronica feel to it i think that i rate that a lot and it's something that a lot of bands don't always get right and i think that's something which is definitely worth saying because i have had my problems with i guess hip-hop influenced rock bands mm. over the last few years you know like I, I thought you know acts like that like horror right for example are are good you know a, 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 they're they're a good band like great live band i've not ever really felt like they've got the songs and i think you know i think the problem with trying to be a rock band with rap influence is that you know rap is in and hip-hop is in such a kind of creatively fertile place mm. and it's also commercially and critically adored in a way that rock music isn't so if you're a rapper you're probably going to want to just do that rather than doing rock music yeah. which means i think the bands that are kind of incorporating that have felt i felt a kind of in terms of a cutting edge have fell a, a little bit further behind the rap artists because you know like i've said about hip-hop before you can kind of live or die on how good your mc is now that's true in hip-hop but i think in rock music you actually can get away with being an all right mc you know like um your man here uh whose name i've forgotten tracks, off the top of my head I'm i believe his tracks yes. yes uh philippos tracks davis um he's not the greatest sort of like when he does the rap bits it's not like you know he's not going to be troubling no. fucking you know, the, the, the high end yeah of, of like the best mcs around 
but i think crucially what they do have is a proper good understanding of what makes rock music mm. exciting and i think if you get that right then you are on a far better footing for making your project sound better overall and you know you've mentioned like built to last <laughs> It, it is like old school New York hardcore, careering, clunking, massive, stompy, brutal fucking riffing. It's it's great, you know. It's it's really really great, and I think they get the hardcore right. They borrow from like old school New York hardcore, Bad Brains, Gallows, the Bronx. When they do chuck in those, let's call them turnstyle esque bits that mm. are like slight kind of sonic deviations they don't sound clunky or like they don't really understand it they never i don't think you know tracks ever tries anything that is you know too complex for him um and he comes up with enough big vocal hooks in the, in in rock for it to sound good i think you know i wasn't actually that keen on asteroid boys i know there are a lot of people who are like oh asteroid boys are you know they're going to be massive and stuff and it didn't really happen i wasn't actually that keen on them. but i think this is this is much more like it for me mm. this is good i think this is like promising real promising i think this like, is... I, I don't think i think this is not like perfect but i think it's it, it is a very very good opening nine track short debut record from a, a british sort of crossover band it's cool yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a really, really strong, promising debut. And clearly, I like it a bit more than you. Um, I, I think this is going to find an audience. And I, I agree, like, Asteroid Boys were... I think I liked them in theory more than I liked them in practice. But for me, this this pretty much hits the mark. I mean, yeah, there are bits that could maybe do with a bit of tweaking. And you're right, I mean, Trax isn't the greatest MC. But I think he's got enough character and enough kind of panache in his performance that that doesn't really matter for me. And especially when he is surrounded by a band who are so adept at doing that really crunchy fun hardcore I, th I think this is really strong i would strongly suggest that anyone who likes punk music should listen to this album and even if you don't listen to it and if you don't like it you're wrong basically yeah i think uh i think it's good I think this is very good so it's called the boogie down south by xl life and it is out for you to listen to uh now if you're listening to this podcast the, the day that it comes out or the, any time actually because it's not like they're going to take it off streaming time service, release yeah, for fuck's yeah. sake <laughs> don't know why I'm saying that um, anyway let's move on and talk about Mike Patton happy birthday Mike Patton he turns 55 today if you're listening to the podcast on day of release so we want to celebrate the life and career of one of if not the best singer in actual history the I reckon the for me the best singer yeah. in actual history for, for Sam um so let's start you know by just by saying it so michael allen Patton was born on the 27th of january 1968 um and what a career he has gone on to have we are gonna pick five different categories because we don't want to go like you know let's talk about epic or let's talk about the best of bits of faith no more or mm. you know what's our favorite album because there's going to be tons of mike Patton stuff that will be going up on our Patreon page and tons of opportunities for us to talk about Mike Patton. But before we do, just briefly, you say Mike Patton's the greatest singer ever, Sam. Um, for me, I yes. probably feel yeah. si I probably feel similarly. What is it about Mike Patton that makes Mike Patton so special, do you think? I think, uh, obviously, there is his ability and his range. Um, the fact that he can do so many styles so adeptly, whether it's a croon or a death growl, you know, whether he's doing 
a project with John Zorn or he's doing a hardcore band with Dave Lombardo. He he nails it every time. Even when the projects he's on aren't the best, Mike Patton is just an inescapable force. And I think the fact that he has a charm and a charisma that just, you know, the, his character pervades everything he does. And the fact that he does whatever the fuck he likes, I think he's just so cool as an artistic force. And yeah, I mean, ultimately, written some of the biggest choruses in alternative rock, metal, etc., that you would ever care to hear, whether it's whether it is epic or evidence or even fucking get out, you know. The 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 opening salvo that is get out on King for a Day is just one of the most joyous things in nineties rock music, isn't it? I think Mike Patton is the best. I I think you said that very, very well indeed. I completely agree. I mean I was gonna say freedom true musical freedom to do whatever the fuck you want obviously you know that's all well and good but having the ability the amazing ability to back that up as well mm. and to actually not just be free enough as an artist to, to to not feel encumbered by a set of genre tropes or feeling like you have to stick to a certain group of people that you work with but to actually have the ability to go to all of those people and be like um you know <laughs> you know we, we can do i can pull this off i can pull any of this stuff off whether it be singing fucking italian <laughs> classical music where it's whether it's getting some of the most brilliant members of the underground extreme hardcore and grindcore scenes and coughing your guts up with them or whether it's just making awesome sexy pop songs with people like dan the automator like not only does he do whatever the fuck he wants he backs up whatever he wants to do yeah he's a fucking lad so <laughs> he is let's talk lad. about five things so we've picked um five different categories we're going to start with our favorite mike Patton cover version mm. now this is one i wanted to get in straight away because there are so many that he's done over the years and if you don't mind me going first sam not at all um you, i might even mention your one i think for me the joy of going to see faith no more is always what hilarious things will they chuck in like what hilarious little bits and bobs are they chucking? I'm thinking when they came back at download in 2009, and he chucked Poker Face in by Lady Gaga <laughs> in at the start of um, uh, I can't remember what song it was now that he did, but anyway, he did a bit of that. Um, Faith them all covering the East Enders theme. I know he didn't do much <laughs> that, but doing the East Enders theme at Reading in 2009, fucking brilliant. I recently bought the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles game mm. for the PlayStation. And he sings the theme to that and he sings it really straight. And this is the thing as well, you know, you've got someone who will take these songs and, you know, Faith the Moor, of course, famously just doing songs straight. He's covered My Death by Scott Walker. He's covered Rain and Blood by Slayer. Um, seeing Faith the Moor cover That Guy's in Love With You by the Bee Gees at Hellfest to end their set um, next to a French bloke having an absolute fucking meltdown going this is not metal this is not metal was great you sure um, he was french he, well i think you not hear what i think he's one of the cast members of hello hello <laughs> yeah he might have been um and little snippets of nukes on the block and pump up the jam on the live at bricks album is wicked mm. but for me my personal favorite maybe maybe my personal favorite moment of faith no more ever for me like the the rush i got was just the relief of them walking out on stage at Download in 2009 when they returned after thinking, well, that's never going to happen, is it? There's never going to be a Faith No More Reformation. And for them to open with a cover of Peaches and Herbs 
classic soul banger reunited was just so so perfect it is a great song and like i say they do the thing that faith no more do and they perform it perform it perfectly straight and whilst roddy bottom can't quite hit some of his notes Patton gives it both barrels even forgetting the lyrics at one point like even when he forgets the lyrics he's just sort of like giggles it off and he hits that you know, reunited and it feels so good. It was just, I remember being there and just being like, that's Faith No More. And <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? It, but it was it was so amazing. I absolutely fucking loved that cover. And as a moment, it's incredible. But it, it was a song that I didn't give a shit about. And now I love it. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely mm. love that song because of Faith No More, because of Mike Patton in a red suit, walking on <laughs> with a walker, pretending he's like an old man. He's probably younger than I am now when that happened, but fucking brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. Um, with this, this is probably, of the five categories you picked, the one I struggled with the most, actually, because um, as you've said, I mean, Faith No More, certainly, a lot of their covers are done very, very straight. I think they're done brilliantly because... It is Patton. Well, because it is Faith No More, and they are just such brilliant and talented musicians. They don't tend to massively put their stamp on stuff, but that's not necessarily a problem for me when we're talking about my favourite Patton cover. I mean, none of them are ever going to be my favourite cover of all time. There were a few that I did, of course, consider their cover of Easy, you know, it, the the most popular Faith No More song on streaming. As we found out, I was surprised that it's more popular than Epic. Really, mm. really like the cover of I Started a Joke as well. I think Mike Patton doing that and hitting that just radiant vibrato is excellent. But I've decided to go in a rather different direction. And I've actually chosen another band who roped in the stylings of Mike Patton. I've gone with Zeus's cover of Human Fly by The Cramps on the really bad music for really bad people The Cramps has heard through the meat grinder of 31G compilation. It's a pretty straight ahead cover, but hearing Patton do things that he doesn't do that often. So during the verses, very, very much sort of following the Lux Interior manner of that kind of Iggy Poppy sort of late 60s into early 70s proto to actual punk drawl i think it's really cool but it's the fact he does it with that same swivel-eyed bravado that you want from a pattern project and you would hear with cramps back in the day and the fact he's able to just go on a dime from that hip swinging squalling screaming unhingedness into even more mental territories where he sounds like fucking Rob Halford at the beginning of the end where he comes screaming in like he's screaming for vengeance. It's absolutely brilliant. I, I, I don't think he's put a particularly Mike Patton stamp on it, but I think he's done it with the same reverence that he did do something like Commodore's Easy so brilliantly. So as we sit here today, that's probably my favourite Mike Patton cover that we've got. I think it's absolutely hilarious, but he does it with such lovely gusto. Yeah, it's good that. Really, really good. Mm. I actually am quite surprised. I mean, we haven't mentioned it. I, mean, I thought you might mention it, but I thought you were going to say come to daddy with the Dillinger escape plan. Although I actually think that is not as good as the original. No, I feel exactly the same. I actually think that's mm. that's the the least good moment on the best EP of all time, actually. Um, yeah, I, I don't think the come to daddy showcases pattern being his absolute best um, as it's a Because the original is so fucking crazy. It's, so I think good, it's just yeah. not humanly possible to, to do what he does. So, yeah, there you go. Favourite cover version. Um, Favourite live performance now, by Mike Patton. May go I on. go first? Because... Of course. It, it basically feeds back into your last pick because my favourite is their version of Reunited at Downer 2009, which I've only ever been able to see on YouTube. But for all the reasons you said, I think it's absolutely brilliant. The sense of humour with which 
he comes out, like you say, as a doddery old man before, throwing the cane aside, throwing the suit like back and everything, and just properly going into it, as we see across the rest of the performance, you know, what he's doing, uh, we care a lot, doing sit-ups with the microphone in his mouth, just being an absolute lad. But I think <laughs> that as an opening moment, that, that bait and switch that, I mean, I don't know what it would have been like to be there. I mean, at the time I was, what, 15 when that show took place, I think. How old am I? Yeah, I would have been 15. Um, so I didn't see Faith No More then. I've actually never seen Faith No More. I'm fucking gutted about it. I've had t- I had tickets for their um, 2020 performance at Brixton that obviously was eventually yeah. pushed to 20, uh, 2022 and now is not happening because um, Mike Patton was experiencing health, mental health difficulties, which I think, you know what, if I never see Faith No More but he's all right, that's fine, but I will always be upset that I ne- I've not seen them. Um, but the idea that that was their return to British shores for them to play a quite lame practical joke but one that is so funny because it's done with such a sweet sense of humour. I think it's absolutely brilliant. And as you say, the way he actually goes for it during that performance, I mean, the whole show, but particularly coming out with Reunited, I think it's fucking brilliant. But I would also just like to say, in terms of favourite Patton live performance, I only have, I have seen Mike Patton on a stage once and it was one of the most crushingly disappointing things that has happened in my musical life. Because really? the only time I've seen him was at Download 2018 with Dead Cross. Uh, they were on the second stage. Like, I, I quite I saw that. I quite like Dead Cross. I think they're all right. They're all right. They're one of my least favourite pattern projects that don't just absolutely bewilder me like something like Abraxas. But the fact that I got there and there were, I mean, where I was stood sort of in front of the barrier that is closest to the stage, there were maybe 30 people. It felt like it was absolutely barren. And... It was not going well. His his extra vocal mic, the little um, the sort of the megaphone type thing that he uses, the li- loudspeaker PA thing, wasn't working, and you could see him getting so frustrated. And I remember there being a moment where he just threw it down, and you could hear him shouting, "Just Jesus fucking Christ!" across the stage at whatever was happening with the sound engineers, and it was like. That's not how I want to see a legend. So um, I don't have loads to pick from beyond YouTube footage. But yeah, I'm going to go with the Download 2009 performance for me because I just wish I'd been there. Oh, it was fucking incredible. I mean, it's definitely my favourite time seeing Faith and More. I've seen Faith and More six times. Ooh, lucky. Um, and I've, I've only ever seen Mike Patton do that Dead Cross show that you were just talking about. That's mm. the only other time I've seen Mike Patton. I've never seen Phantomus. I've never seen Peeping Tom. I've never seen... Um, uh, I've never seen Mr. Bungle. I've never seen, you know, any of the other, like, I've never seen him do a kind of solo set or anything. Mm. I've never seen any of those other things. So it is a bit of a like, um, a bit of a bummer. I mean, I nearly had, I was going to go to see Tomahawk when they played the Astoria, which is oh, time he yeah. dressed as, as, a, as a cop and pissed in the photo pit um, <laughs> at, during the encore, which I would have quite liked to have seen. We'll get mm. on to him doing a wee in a little bit. But um, so, you know, I've only I've seen Faith and More six times, which feels like more than a lot of people, but still not enough for me. It's not enough. It's absolutely not enough. Um, but I'm still gonna pick. I'm gonna pick one from their original run, and I did see them on this tour. But uh, as great as they were at Brixton Academy on their their last ever UK show before they split up initially, um, if you were there at Longmaston Airfield on Stratford-upon-Avon on the 20th of July, 1997. Faith No More played ridiculously early and low down the bill at the Phoenix Festival. This is on YouTube, right? It is a 13-song set, 
Collision, midlife crisis, gentle art of making enemies, last cup of sorrow, easy, introduce yourself, homesick home, naked in front of the computer, evidence epic. I started a joke, ashes to ashes, just a man. I mean, that's a great fucking set list. Damn. Yeah. By the way. Um, and Faith No More going on in between Billy Bragg and Texas on the <laughs> day. <Supporting laughs> a little band called. Texas having to go on after this. Fucking like, hell. if I had any kind of positive feelings toward Texas at all, I'd probably feel a bit sorry for him, mm. but I don't. So forget it. I mean, you know, that's a good day to be fair. Apollo 440, Catatonia, Three Cars, Red, Billy Bragg, Faith and More, Texas, Orbital and David Bowie. Yeah. Not a bad day, that. Not, Not a bad day. You'd go to that. Um, you would go to that. And uh, Faith and More, that this set is on YouTube. I suggest you go and watch it. It is absolutely fucking incredible and Patton is on fire mm. he is wired they were they, like, I, I believe someone told me they had another they had to go on early because they had another festival appearance somewhere else in Europe that day fucking hell right so they had to go somewhere else so they play these 13 songs in about 45 minutes 43 mm. minutes I think it is 13 songs and they just power through all of them everything is played at kind of treble the speed and pattern is it's when they're in the suits on the 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 album of the year era and it's just so harsh and so fast and so brutal and yet his voice sounds incredible and he's proper like doing the angry like squat down <laughs> bug-eyed yeah, like yeah. microphone by the side of his mouth for kind of even during like last cup of sorrow and stuff which is not like a super heavy song it's actually quite a kind of croony song and he's screaming like it's fucking amazing like bless texas for trying to go on having to go on after that and trying to follow that like you just can't it's amazing like if you haven't seen that set list that set like i say it's on youtube go and listen to it. it is just fucking absolutely awesome love it Mm. um Here's one that I put in because I think as a lyricist, um, Mike Patton doesn't always get loads and loads of credit and as much credit as he deserves. But favourite quote. Now, this could be just something he said. He said some hilarious things mm. over the years about new metal, about other bands, about his band mates and stuff. Like, you know, when Faith and the War split up and Mike Borzin was drumming for Ozzy and he made some pretty disparaging remarks about him, which I'm not going to go into now because I'm sure they're friends. And why bring that up? even though I just did. But <laughs> for me, um, when I think about what's great about Faith No More and what's great about Mike Patton, and particularly what's great about Faith No More at that point as well, the line, it's always funny until someone gets hurt and then it's just hilarious, I just think is such an amazing, like, concise line. I mean, he said things like, well, he did that quote like, Every, God has given everyone the right to be an atheist, which is basically like the best of Ricky Gervais's stand-up career <laughs> yes. condensed into like like a few words, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> like, but um, but yeah, that that quote, that line, I think that's fucking that like that just really sums him up. Mm. Like, you know, we can laugh, but then when it gets really shitty and really horrible, that's when it's really fucking funny. <laughs> and it just like, you know, I guess people will be like, oh, edgelord or whatever now, but I don't think it is. I think no. it's just someone who delights in... The absurd. Yeah, absurd. And, and like, not, I was going to say causing trouble, but not even causing trouble, but just like kind of 
seen how far he can push the things that he does and that's what makes him a great artist and that quote kind of sums it up a bit for me yeah it's that free spiritedness isn't it um i mean you know we've heard about him shitting in axel rose's hairdryer and it's like yeah, yeah brilliant he's just being a, being a mentalist isn't he but i think generally with a point you know with with guns and roses you know he was doing that because he really objected to the kind of excesses of the rockstar bravado and obviously they would then kind of counter that with the albums that followed that tour that faith no more released and I think similarly for me, it's that kind of, without wanting to use the word real, because obviously that is quite lame unless it's in the context of The Real Thing, which is a great album. I've gone for a, a spoken quote rather than a song lyric. And mine is from what seems, and you will all know this as I start describing it, what seems like a fairly sort of nonplussed interview with G4 at Lollapalooza. It starts out quite nicely. And I think it's one of the few times where in public, from that era, you see the kind of, Mike Patton the person rather than Mike Patton the performer. He's talking about some upcoming projects he's got to do with 60s Italian cinema and opera. And he's going, oh, and these are all things that really we wanted to do for about five years in a strange way. And then Wolfmother start playing woman on a stage nearby. And he goes, are you hearing this shit? What year are we in? Forgive me, but Wolfmother, you suck. Help me. Am I fucking crazy? Oh my God, enough already. Are you people that stupid? I guess they are. I don't even have to say it. You've got ears. And I mean, that's it, you know, on G4 interview, not afraid to slag off a band who are doing pretty well for themselves commercially, who, you know, for some reason people really, really liked. He's just like, no, this is shit. And actually, I, you know, maybe the stuff I do does sort of derive from older music, but at least I do it with a sense of panache. And as a kind of little side note, I really like that the interviewer doing that, you could just about hear him on the kind of the VHS that's been copied and copied and copied and ended up on YouTube. You can hear him say, oh, come on, this is only the sixth Led Zeppelin band this weekend. It's like, yeah, it's great. And people understand that Mike Patton actually appreciates a bit of originality. And I think it's summed up quite well in one of his more famous quotes. It's that and the, the whole sandwich interview, isn't it? I think they're the two big yeah. Mike Patton YouTube moments. Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, we would definitely have to bring that up. Yeah. Mother thing, because it's become uh, a, a, a staple. Mike, yeah. Mike Patton versus... <laughs> Everyone, you know, I mean, uh, Anthony Kiedis Lord and only knows what he thinks about Yeah, yeah. Lord only knows what he thinks about Merniskin. Um, you would wonder what he would think. Like, what would he think about those years later? Greta Van Fleet, I reckon. Greta Van Fleet, yeah. Van Fleet. Yeah, you'd love to hear it. Yeah, he's got a he's got a way with words. Um, the most surprising appearance. Now, I put this in right because I don't obviously just think about Mike Patton as the bloke from Faith No More as I know no. a lot of people are like oh it's the bloke from Faith No More right there are loads of his bands and loads of his projects which I fucking love which we'll talk about in a moment but I do still really mostly think of him as a musician mm. more than anything and I think you know it's cool because he's worked with a lot of non-metal people as we sort of talk about especially in an era when you know metal and hard rock tended not to do that I mean when you look at Lovage or Handsome Boy Model in School or whatever you know that is really different from what anyone in kind of quote unquote metal was doing at that time. But I think in terms of hearing something and then later learning that it was Mike Patton, nothing, nothing has shocked me more as finding out that he did the voices for the creatures in the massive Will Smith blockbuster, I Am Legend. Mm. Like, because I think of him as a musician and then you look and you go, you see how many films he's done, like his voiceover work and what he does with his voice in that voiceover work it's it fucking blows my mind that when i'm watching a will smith blockbuster like that film was massive yeah it's one of those films that's on itv2 every other day 
Do you know what I mean? It's on all the time. And I think it's a great film. Don't like it when he kills a dog. Not for me. Spoiler alert. But um, but those things do sound horrible. And I remember people saying to me who, who didn't know who Mike Patton was. And I didn't even know it was Mike Patton initially. And they're going, oh, the thing about that really gets under my skin, the way that those voices sound. And it's, like, it's really, really creepy. Like, it's not a great film, but they did the the, the kind of the, the weird, like, sort of um, zombie nasty things like really good because those creatures sound fucking they sound really murderously horrible and then later when you find out it's mike Patton doing that mm. like it's do you go do you transcend just being a vocalist when you do shit like that and i think again like that's why i fucking i've got so much respect for him like as good a singer as adele is <laughs> you know, she's not gonna do, be doing dead space three is she going <laughs> you don't know there's a reboot on no, the I way don't we, had, we don't know who's i don't done it know yet. yeah we we don't know but i would be i would be fairly surprised so yeah. you know the fact that a bit like trent Reznor, but even more kind of underground mm. and even more kind of like below the surface mike Patton has kind of infiltrated hollywood <laughs> it's just so fucking cool it is really fucking cool and i agree i think mike Patton is there are many many strings to the man's bow and i think yeah it is a shame to just focus on his on his um, just his sort of like band or musical output where he's the, the main vocalist I mean you listen to something like what's the stuff he was doing with Jean-Michel Vanier and then you look at his film score soundtracks and I am pleased to see that we have both gone in the same direction with most surprising appearance because for me as someone who was already a little bit aware of Faith No More like I'd seen the epic video and stuff like that on Kerrang TV back in the day my most surprising appearance for him was as one of the lead roles in the video game The Darkness that came out in um, June of the same year as I Am Legend. It was his first voice acting role that I can find. Um, the fact that he's able to do this kind of weird demon and when you know it's Mike Patton and you watch footage of that game and stuff, it's like, oh yeah, of course it is. But when you're watching it, you're so engrossed in this weird otherworldly kind of, is it satanic, this weird sort of morally ambiguous creature kind of because ultimately you are the good guy but you are doing bad things etc that's part of the sort of theme of the central thing but the fact that he can do that and then looking through his other video game voice acting work he the same year he was the anger core in portal and then he was all of the zombies in left for dead and left for dead 2 as well as kind of um having a character role in an ill-fated remake of bionic commando but like you say so distinctive and, and well so distinctive when he's playing those characters but the fact that you don't immediately know that Mike Patton is attached to these massive projects. Like Left 4 Dead 2 is a huge game. The Darkness sold a million copies in its first year. It even got banned in Singapore for its excessive violence and use of religiously ex uh, offensive expletives. So it's pretty notorious at the time and people don't think of it as a Mike Patton project. So I think his most surprising appearances are, yeah, his voice acting work that people do tend to overlook. And I think he's brilliant for it. I might try and replay really The Darkness is. again, see if it's on Game Pass. That was a good game. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's like, again, one of the, it just no one else that I can think of from a sort of alt, an unusual alternative background. Like that's having, that's having your cake and eating it, going mm. into like the main, like, you know, like you say, like millions of copies, of Hollywood blockbusters, big, big, big scores for films and games and, you know, TV shows and doing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> And again, like music. because he loves it, because he wants to do it. And as we said yeah. at the beginning, he's able to do it so well. Like he nails it. Left 4 Dead 2 is a terrifying game because of the oppression of the zombies. And part of that is the sound design of it. And it's like, fucking hell, Mike Patton. Well done. Mm, well, good. Let's close it all up with, I think, probably 
the thing that we'll be able to discuss the most because there are a lot mm. most underrated project now i personally think that although people will talk about mike Patton beyond faith and more a lot uh, i mean maybe not to the extent of you know the games and the films and stuff there's a lot that he does that gets overlooked mm. although to be fair you know most of the things do also have their fans there are people who are just like mad mike Patton fans i mean i would say i probably sit about 70 percent. i think there's there's people who would be bigger fans who yeah. literally go like oh yeah mondo kane mm. b-sides and shit that like you know but i think you know dead cross are pretty cool i think everyone loves tomahawk particularly yeah the first two records are fucking brilliant um but i do feel like tomahawk have been a little bit forgotten maybe in the aftermath of the return of mr bungle mr bungle mm. obviously are a proper kind of cult band and i would say the thing that he's known for the most straight after faith no more there's stuff like you mentioned corpse flower the album that you did with john claude uh varnier which oh, i think is sorry, yes yeah. yeah it's absolutely brilliant i really really love that but for me although i think this one is fairly well known i think it is an absolute crying shame a real crying shame that we only got one peeping tom album oh, but what a fucking album it is i mean what a fucking album it is but one album uh you know one album and what is it it's only 10 songs long i think isn't it it's yeah. 10 11 songs long so it's 11 songs peeping tom it came out in I'm going to get it up, actually, and get the actual... The 30th of May, 2006, it came out. So, you know, we're going to be 18 years old this year. When you look at the people that are on it, Danny Automator, Razel, Cool Keith, Massive Attack, uh, Nora Jones, Dub Trio. Like, Nora Jones, two years before that, was, like, the biggest artist on the planet. Like, not on the planet, but, like, she was fucking critically you know that mm. album sold millions she won all the grammys she was like the hottest fucking thing around and she's doing a song called sucker <laughs> with, with, uh, with a band with called Mike peeping Patton. tom yeah you know the band called peeping tom who are a kind of basically and a lot of people sort of said oh it's the sort of closest thing he's done to faith no more synth faith no more and i can see that on you know songs like five seconds or you know we're not alone at the end i can kind of see people making that connection but getaway and celebrity deathmatch and songs like that they're, 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 this is full-blown kind of trip-hop hip-hop smooth like jazzy weird like kind of coffee shop electronica and and he's never really done anything quite like this i think you can say like handsome boy modeling school which wasn't on for, for loads the lovage album he's not on that quite as much you know this he's not he's not like the focus on those two things in the same way as he's on peeping tom mm. this album is absolutely brilliant i noticed slant magazine gave it one out of five oh stylus gave it a d like it you know bizarre got that bad 6.2 on pitchfork of course it did got 6.2 was that uh brett de krasenska wensko or whatever uh, almost yeah. certainly isn't it absolutely almost in fact i'm actually going to check that i know it's <laughs> david raposa um he's the next one we'll have a go at him next yeah you're in the fucking firing line next buddy <laughs> um <laughs> once we've killed off chris de we're gonna go for brent <laughs> disses and then it's you um <laughs> yeah but i you know like i i think Hearing Mike Patton do pop mm. is amazing. Like, 
or going into that kind of more more kind of commercial realm is amazing and he doesn't do it that much i mean we're talking about covers and stuff like phantomers are a really really fucking difficult band but when you think of like like covering rosemary's baby and covering (laughs) like you know the the cape fear soundtrack and stuff Mm. like he just has to put fucking noise all over that shit and he's done loads of things like you know i mentioned corpse flower and i suppose you go mondo cane and into that kind of italian opera classically stuff like he treats that shit with reverence Mm. but you don't often hear him other than i guess sort of faith no more doing something like this and i guess that's why it got the comparisons to faith no more i don't actually think it's anything like faith no more at all but it is brilliant i i fucking love this record it's so good it's absolutely fantastic and i think with the faith no more comparison um maybe that's just kind of i don't know an ethos thing where it's you know do anything so you can do anything so you will do it and i think that's great um and you're right it is a crying shame that we've only had one peeping tonal album but think about the gap between mr bungle you know being there and then coming back i mean who's to say that we won't ever hear from peeping tom again and i think i'd like to hear it you know it'd be mm. it'd be interesting to see him do it with some of the uh, well some of the um artists he was working with the first time around but maybe even some more contemporary sort of you know soul and r&b and trip hop mm. and hip-hop artists i think it could be a really fascinating thing and i think knows? he would as well I, I, absolutely know, he's not gonna just he's not gonna hark back to you know just kind of picking up the put i mean that's the brilliant thing about that is at the time you look at it and be like well razel's there mm. but then so is cool keith so i think you'll get an amazing mix of mm. people and yeah it, 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 it the idea of a second peeping tom album still seems just unbelievably exciting to me i'd love to the, hear the potential for it so mm. that would be my most underrated mike Patton project uh, which i think is a very very good shout i've decided to go a little off piste with this so rather than picking one of his musical projects in terms of his performance i've actually decided that my most underrated mike Patton project is ipecac recordings so the label that he established in 1999 with Greg Verkman. That's a great show. Yeah, Greg Verkman, who used to be the label manager of um, Jello Biafra's Alternative Tentacles, used to be the frontman of uh, DUH, a band called Death's Ugly Hag, who, to be fair, I don't actually know, but I see they're uh, a noise rock supergroup from San Francisco, so it sounds like that might be a bit of me. Bit you, innit? Yeah, definitely. And this re- label was established for the sole purpose of releasing the first Phantomus album, and then they basically just kept it going, and I think it's absolutely brilliant because... They push these avant-garde and alternative music releases through the unique practice where they just do one-album deals. No band has ever been tied into any more. They can do it on an album-by-album basis. I found a uh, quote from Greg Verkman on that, which was, when starting our label, we decided that it did not feel right to own the artists on our label. Instead, we would rent or license records from artists that we liked. And the fact that Mike Patton has been part of this record label that has released things by, among others, Melvin's, Dialect, Omar Rod- uh, Rodrigo Lopez, Isis, Daughters. I know we're not, you know, talking about them so much anymore, but they did do that. Alan Johannes, the official soundtracks for a load of Valve's video games. Valve, uh, if, if you don't know, Steve, they published Left for Dead and Left for Dead 2. Right. So it makes sense that he would be releasing the soundtracks for Portal and Half-Life. Um, Crystal Fairies, Le Butcherettes, mm. Mark Lanigan, Sleaford Mods, Eagles of Death Metal, and basically everything Mike Patton has done since 1999. I think it's absolutely fucking fantastic. And I think Ipecac are one of those labels where I don't love everything that comes out on it, but I'm definitely going to listen to it because you can be sure that it's going to be interesting because of the minds behind it and their willingness mm. to take a punt on these albums one at a time. I think Ipecac is my favourite Mike Patton project that doesn't get spoken about enough that is a great shout yeah for sure i mean you know like they've released loads of even even just going back to the shit they've done with the melvins for so long yeah like, so much melvins 
yeah and i like some of it again a bit like the label itself like some of it sucks <laughs> and some of it is incredible yeah but um yeah they've got a hell of a fucking roster and you never know what's going to come out and but like I say it's always worth listening to so there you go happy birthday mike patton we actually put a tweet out to see if people want to say anything um max cousins max it's your birthday today as well happy birthday, oh, mate. Happy birthday max. he shares it with him every year he says it doesn't get much better than irony is a dead scene he's honored to share it with mike patton um Carlfinity has uh quoted um the gentle art of making enemies by saying don't you look so surprised happy birthday fucker um which i liked Brilliant. and our good friend paul waller from the year in horror podcast says my 17 year old self wants to say thank you to mr Patton for that time when he pulled his willy out on stage at brixton on the angel dust tour did a wee in his shoe and drank it i realized <laughs> that if this fella is normal size then it's okay for me too porn was wrong after all uh <laughs> quite a lot to unpack there just say happy birthday paul if you don't mind that would be much better but um yeah cheers anyway thanks very much for listening everyone we're gonna head off now uh we'll see you next week i don't actually know what we're gonna do next week i think there's a couple of albums out that we're vaguely excited about might do a new fucked up album Ooh. which we didn't get in time to really kind of digest so we're going to do it next week uh and probably something else who knows who knows it'll be a surprise when it comes won't it see you later everyone cheery bye <laughs>